1: Hey guys and gals, welcome back to another episode of The Command Zone. We are here with your host, myself, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. Yeah. And Alex Kessler. Special guest, returning. Woo! You're our first
2: returning guest. Really? I'm
3: the first number two? You're the
2: first number two. I don't know <laughs> if that's a... You're number two only to yourself. <laughs> Who does number two work for?
3: <laughs> Who does number two work for?
1: Uh, so... Alex, thank you again for coming. If you guys don't remember, Alex is a, a part of Webisodes Network, yep. uh, the company that's responsible for top-decking. Woo! Yeah, one of the very few shows out there about Magic the Gathering. And the best show. It's about, like, yeah. it's like right. Scrubs
3: and Clerks meets Magic the Gathering players.
1: That's pretty. I, that's a good description. I like that. Uh, I think... Uh, You've been working on that, Logline? Oh, yeah, for, like, <laughs> good three years. <laughs> yeah, VGHS definitely takes a lot of inspiration from Scrubs, too, so I, I like that our worlds uh, coexist. Oh, right, the, regard.
3: like, pseudo-not-reality reality where yeah, people exactly. have the ability to, like, look up into the distance and then imagination takes over. Yeah, Imagination. I have a, that ability in that real life. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. You might have JD from Scrub Disease. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I just want to be the is janitor. Is that the official? Is that the Latin name for it?
3: Yeah. I w- apparently, actually, in the first season, he was supposed to be schizophrenic. And the janitor doesn't talk to a single other person in the really? entire first season of Scrubs because he was supposed to be a figment of JD's imagination. And he was going to like go to the hospital. And that was going to be the end if it got canceled after one season. And then it didn't. Spoiler Nine alert. Spoiler, a spoiler <laughs> alert. Yeah. That's also a really dark ending. Oh, yeah. Well, the first season's really dark. People die all
2: the time in that show. It's a hospital. Yeah, it's true. So Alex is also here because uh, (laughs) we have or you have started a new podcast. You want to talk about that
3: a little bit? Well, you know, we decided that, you know, this is the command cast and it's all about casual fun play and to expand it into the competitive zone of Magic the Gathering, we started Masters of Modern. Me and uh, Glenn Jones are your hosts on that. We actually released our first episode last week. So we actually have an episode coming out tomorrow as well, starring Jimmy Wong as our guest yeah, host. Yeah, talking
1: to- about our my my first experience.
3: At the Friday Night Magic type event, we're going to do this yeah. whole thing. We're we're going to take Jimmy through the entire competitive ringer, starting with FNM, <laughs> and eventually getting to the Pro Tour.
1: The Pro Tour. Yeah. You guys didn't know, won.
2: but Jimmy is going pro.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a self proclaimed goal that has really become <laughs> it's really a, my fault. It's become a reality in the past like three days, right. more so than it ever has. You, you, did you have Moto three days ago? Yeah, actually,
3: I did. Okay, well, now, Jimmy is now on the Magic Gathering Onlines and won his first 8-4 draft in right. the last 24 hours. Yeah,
1: that was a lot of fun. Um, I guess I'm going pro. If I do make it to the pro tour, I'm going to wear a T-shirt with all of your faces on it <laughs> and hopefully get on with the coverage. <laughs> I think that'd be pretty fun.
2: So if you haven't checked out the Masters of Modern podcast, you can find it on rocketjump.com, uh, the same place you can find this podcast. So. Yeah. You've probably already seen it, I guess, if you're listening to this right now. We're
3: creating a podcast magic The gathering family yeah, filled with hugs and swamps. And quality audio Hugs recordings. and swamps. Hugs and swamps. You hugs can't see, swamp. but we're all hugging each other right now. Right. <laughs> see, no, we're not. Tapping of black mana. No, we're not. <laughs> no, we're not, yeah, yeah, we're not. All we're all doing any of that. Tapping nope. all that black mana.
1: We're sitting a safe distance apart. So our main topic today, uh, we're going to talk about cutting. Uh, cutting cards from your deck, what to cut, how to cut, why you cut. Uh, That's a pretty obvious reason. That's why you cut. But sort of the whole broad range of cutting and how it affects your play style and how it affects specifically your commander, how it applies to other formats of Magic the Gathering. And we're going to finish it off with a spotlight on one of Alex's decks, a uh, wonderful little gnome. Uh, What is he?
3: He's a Kithkin. Oh, he's a Kithkin. Close Uh, enough. A Kithkin advisor,
1: I think is exactly what he is. His name is is Gaddick Teague. And uh, so that will be... He is a douchebag. He's a, d- <laughs> a douchebag. advisor. Okay. advisor. I'm
2: actually really excited to talk about this deck because we haven't done um, we haven't done a really mean deck yet. Some of the it's, like
3: super competitive. Yeah, this is like, a mean deck. I, I like yeah, it. Yeah. It's gonna be uh, yeah.
2: it's gonna be fun to talk about. Yep. So this is a more competitive deck. So you more spiky people out there. You more spiky EDH <laughs> players out there. I'm sure you exist. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah. this is for you. This, this is, is for, for you. you. Well, Spike Kessler, about- I've, I see one right in front of me. That's you. Yeah. Yeah. On this, co- Not on you, this Jimmy. podcast. This You're podcast the pro. Today. Kessler's a spike. On,
3: on the command cast, I'm a spike. On modern Masters of Modern, I'm a Johnny. It's very confusing. I have multiple personalities. I would
1: love to be on the pro tour and be a Timmy. You think a Timmy could make it all the way? Yeah.
3: Yeah. He just really likes playing. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: They're called grinders. Like naturally yeah. naturally yeah, good go. at it.
3: Like just Rain Man
1: status magic player, but just just likes playing magic. Yeah. Someday I'll get there. Definitely 8-4, definitely 8-4. So, Alex, we brought you in today to talk about cutting cards, uh, because... And deck-trimming in general. Like just
3: confetti? Yeah. uh, Black or lotus?
1: (laughs) Black or lotus, yeah, so you can spray it all over the table. Chaos confetti? Chaos Chaos yeah. Yeah. Those are the two two Uh, actual card-cutting cards. (laughs) Uh, Because you are definitely amongst our player group of friends, I think you have the most experience uh, in all the formats. You know, sort of have, you just have the widest range of knowledge about magic, and... We think it's very valuable when talking about a subject
2: like this. Thank you. So, yeah, do you want to explain really quick, like, what deck trimming or cutting is? So, um, and
3: we're going to break down one of these pretty definitively. There's kind of two ways of kind of going about building a deck. Mm -hmm. And one of them is figuring out exactly what you want to do and then filling slots among your curve. And we're going to kind of go into that whole Mm -hmm. process. And then the other one, which I think is the most common one, um, is... Just throwing, picking a general and throwing all the cards you think that might be good in a pile and then slowly whittling it down until you finally have that 99 card limit that you're supposed to fall into with the whole commander. Yeah, I think format. that's a way a lot of people build.
2: Yeah. You right. know, the other thing I think that this discussion is going to cover is like when uh, you discover a new card, like somebody plays it against you or you see it somewhere or it's from the newest set right. and you're like that fits perfectly. Purpose- I, didn't perfectly into I need to get my deck. I need to a T deck. Yeah. And then you're in the position of like, oh, but my deck has all cards I like right now. So which one do I replace this new card with? Mm-hmm. Right. Or which one do I replace the old card with the new card? I don't know how I worded that weird. But the <laughs> sentence got there. We, yeah. We understand. I think people got it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So um, I I want to talk about how deck trimming or cutting cards is maybe a little bit different in EDH than it is in other formats. Um, I think one of the ways uh is that in like a regular constructed format, you know, a lot of times you've got four ofs mm-hmm. and so you're just replacing, you know, four of whatever with a entirely different card and right. yeah, it's because it's singleton. Uh, in a lot of ways when I started building decks in EDH, I thought, oh, this is going to be really easy because I can only have one of everything. I'll always have a couple cards at the end and I'm just like, whatever, I'll throw that in because I couldn't right. find 65 cards that go with this. But it's actually right. the opposite. It's like there's always 300 cards I want to put in the deck, and it's really hard to get down to 65.
3: Right, and when it comes to like 60-card decks in general or 75-card decks, including the sideboard, it's a lot more of... Kind of tuning your deck for the metagame, and your mm-hmm. choices are much more mm-hmm. about consistency and what you're trying to do and a game pl- a game plan. Well, because of the singleton part of EDH, it's much more about crafting a deck that's consistent over being so different every single time you play it. Right. Um. That. All- so it's
2: easier to achieve consistency in, in, in another constructed format. Yeah. But it's yeah. difficult right. in EDH. So you're actually in a weird way like you have to worry about it more right
3: or i mean there's there's i guess two ways to do it one is worry about it or the other one is make a deck that just plays differently
1: every time you put your hands on it and <laughs> right. like that can be okay that could be okay yeah. yeah it would be a different world if we could have four soul rings in every single <laughs> commander deck because you would have a much more because then
2: you would have four soul rings in every single commander <laughs> deck. Right. Yeah, no. exactly. I mean, at least you would
3: curve out there, uh, you know always i don't think there's a single format where you can play more than one soul ring in, yeah, just, in Magic, because right,
2: it's, it's been Vintage, restricted, it's, it's for restricted and right. everything else. When I first started playing, you could actually play as many as you wanted. Right, as many. Yeah, yeah. You could put- yeah they didn't have the four of rule yet either, wow. and I I it hadn't been uh, restricted. Twenty soul rings. I forget yeah. who did it, and nobody had 20, to look it up, yeah. and
3: maybe we can find it and put a link. But uh, there's actually someone went through what if you could play unlimited cards and like well, doesn't matter, the best deck and uh-huh. there is a deck that consistently wins on turn zero no matter what and can't lose. <laughs> I heard zero. Yeah, how's that wow. even happen? Well, because there's the lands that come into play. You I mean, can play like as many black lotuses one, as you want. That's true. But like black lotus and lands that come into play on your opponent's t- like if they're in your opening hand, uh-huh. a gemstone, something, cavern, wow. and it just goes off and black. It just you win. <laughs> enough ancient recalls, force of wills, black lotuses,
2: and a card that
3: wins is enough to kill any opponent, no matter what. Um,
4: those
2: old cards are powerful fortunately back when we started playing nobody owned that many of any of those cards so. no yeah, one knows that many of those many well cards true now. True, <laughs> true how many people know that more like at most two black lotus oh um, something i wanted to touch on because a couple episodes ago we talked with marshall sutcliffe um about card evaluation and card evaluation is related to cutting and trimming right. your deck but it's not the same thing um you know, card evaluation is sort of more based off of uh, what the value of a card is in a in a vacuum a little right. bit, right? Yeah, so it's like looking at the mana cost versus right. its power and toughness versus whatever else. You know, the card does. Uh, you know, it's it's sort of the value of the card, card advantage wise, things like that, um, which you take into consideration when you're doing cutting and trimming. You know, an example I came up with is like Mole Drifter. Yeah. love Mall
3: Drifter. Mall Drifter is a uh, four and a blue for a 2-2 two, two flyer that when it enters the battlefield, you draw two cards. And then you can also evoke it, which is an ability that lets you cast it for a reduced casting cost. So you cast it for two and a blue. And when it comes into play, you have to immediately sacrifice it. Right. So it kind of acts as a pseudo-divination, uh, which is a one blue, two colorless, draw two cards. Um,
2: right. So awesome card. Um, you know, most blue decks are going to want to run it. So my 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 example is like if you could build a deck with just sixty two mold drifters and 38 land in EDH, you know I don't necessarily think that would be the best thing to do, even though that card is very powerful on its own and 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 very, very good, that deck isn't going to be you know necessarily the deck that you would want to play.: yeah. I would
3: immediately play with sixty-two ball drifters and thirty-eight blue lands. <laughs> you play, all I could you'd play, play edX, it once, though. I'd play it every day. You you'd play you it draw, once, though. You draw so it, many cards, and ball
2: is good always. I, I think that deck loses to a lot of EDH decks. though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, You're just card every advantage. card you drew. Yeah. All of the
3: card advantage. They
2: bought your board. You have a bunch of ball drifters. In your hand. For one, <laughs> <you gotta> lose. <laughs> yeah. For one, you got no ramp. Yeah. So you're only, you're not doing anything until turn five. No, turn For three, two, you can draw two cards. Oh, turn, turn three, three. <laughs> you can draw two cards. You, you might as well draw two draw. more meldrifters. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you It'd have no to ability to interact with anything that your opponent's doing. Like, it's an awesome card, but you wouldn't want 62 of them. So, you know, the point there is that there's diminishing returns with certain cards. So this is what cutting and trimming really comes down to because card evaluation tells me, Drifter, awesome card. But when I get down to building my deck, I don't want... A mil you know, I don't want my deck full of that effect. I need right. a variety of effects,
1: right? And we've talked about the variety of effects that you do want to put in your decks, essentially, uh, and you know, they they range from having your removal package to having your n- much needed mana rocks. Um, Kessar, you've talked about every deck really needing a Sensei's Divining Top. It's just sort of one of the crucial cards that right. most commander decks should run if you can afford it. There are five
3: artifacts you probably that every deck should probably run in... Sensei's Divining Top, right. Soul Ring. These are cards that, like, because of their availability, it's some of them aren't available to be in right. every deck. But there is not a deck that would not be better without with Sensei's Divining Top in
1: it. Right, right. And there's also a lot of cards that you think you should run in most decks, but doesn't necessarily actually make the cut in a lot of decks. For instance, if you're running a Monocolory general, having a Gilded Lotus may not be your best bet for a mana rock. Yeah, it's- that's
2: a really good point. There's another card. Card evaluation tells me it's very good. But it, there are decks where maybe it's not. Well, plus you could be playing game. a Muldrifter Drifter instead, and that out of your mono red. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, what, this moves to the next point that I wanted to cover, which is what I'm calling ratio. So, you know, the first thing that falls under this is is mana curve. Mana curve gets thrown on a lot. Um, I don't know, Alex. Do you want to tackle what mana curve is exactly? Uh, mana curve is
3: a concept where you want to make it so you play a card every turn of the game and you want to play the best possible card you can. So on turn one, you want to play a one-drop. On turn two, you want to play a two-drop because use mana efficiency means that you're using your mana to the best of its ability and playing the most powerful spells because generally, a three-drop is more powerful than a two-drop is more powerful than a one-drop. Not always, because right. arguably, it goes I, around Soul a, Ring's a long... better than every other card ever printed and it's a one-drop, yeah. but generally... You know, you want to be playing, your, your deck needs to be built in a way that allows you to play spells consistently in the beginning, but also doesn't mean you get beat out by more powerful cards in the end before you can beat your opponents. Mm-hmm.
2: I think this comes from a concept that's fairly popular, which is that the player that uses the most mana in a game generally wins that game, which is really from uh, non-EDH formats. But true. True, true, true. but that's a philosophy that... Which is why the Muldrifter deck is going to be way better. <laughs> <laughs> So that's a philosophy that comes from that. doesn't necessarily work in EDH. I also think uh, Mana Curve in EDH is different. You don't necessarily ever want to play a one-drop every game. I mean, you want Soul Ring. You want certain right. ones. Right. But you don't want to put... You know, the idea behind Mana Curve is that you have enough cards in your deck that fill each spot on the curve that you can reliably draw those cards when you need them right. the and play them on time, right? One of the important things about curve is you don't want,
3: like, theoretically you could put every powerful seven drop ever created into your deck and have 65 seven drops, but mm-hmm. then you're not doing anything until turn seven if you draw the right lands and enough right. lands in time. Right. And then you're only playing one card at a turn, where, like, if you have a bunch of four drops, once you get the turn eight, you may be able to play two of them or right. one of right, them right. and consistently up to that point. But one of the reasons Ball Drifter is powerful and the reason you include it is because of the evocability it allows you to be, if you draw late game, I get yeah. a 2-2 two, two flyer, which is decent, plus draw two cards. Or early game, if I'm like, well, I need that you get those extra lands, you can play it for three mana. And so adding that versatility is what's really strong about the card. Right. Um
2: yeah, anything that's why Bestow was such a good mechanic in right. Theros, is because mm-hmm. it's anything that can fill two spots on your curve is extremely powerful because you know, if you can get additional utility if you draw it late, then it it's it's just a really strong card, right. but it still has some use early. So that's what mana curve is about. So that's something when you're cutting, when you're trimming your deck, is to look at the curve of the cards you've got. And yeah. yeah, if you have a whole lot of seven, eight high casting cost stuff, you know, depending on your deck you may not want to put in another high casting cost thing. Or if you do, you don't want to be taking out a, a, a two drop right. and putting in a seven drop. I'm just going to say the best way to figure out when
1: you don't want a card in your deck is when you play a game and the card's sitting in your hand and you're going, I don't want to play this card right now. I don't, this is not going to do anything for me situationally, I don't even see when this is going to do anything for me. Like, that's an easy cut. But what you're talking about, taking a card out to put another one in, I think is really easy when you have a deck built and it's ready to go and you're like, well, you know, this wasn't performing, so I'm going to take this out. But this other sweet card in instead, when actually doing that may negatively affect your deck because you may do something, like you said, where you take out a mana ramper and replace it with a high CMC cost guy. So, like, you always have to be weighing sort of your additions into any deck as opposed to what you're taking out and seeing your, what you're affecting. So, specifically, like we were talking about, like, how much how much card draw do you need in every single deck? You know, every deck, I'd say, unless you just have no options, needs some form of card draw in Commander because you have a 99-card deck you need to get through those cards. So, like, Kessler, what do you usually run in terms of, like, decks? Do you you say, like, 10% of your cards are card draw? 5%? It depends on the
3: colors. I mean, the more heavier white a deck is, the more card advantage is got in by effects like board wipes, where it's not uh. necessarily that you're drawing more cards, it's that you play less cards and then kill all of your opponent's cards that they drew into and played. So, you know, each color kind of affects this differently. And yeah. classically, until very recently, it's one of the reasons red has been one of the worst colors right. in EDH because it has. The worst board wipes, which is, and the worst, like, Red's ability is to kill your opponent before they card advantage you in Constructed, or in 60 card decks. But in EDH, that isn't a very effective strategy. Mm -hmm. And so, classically, it had a lot of trouble really competing with other decks that, without using unfun strategies. So, like, you know, one of its card advantage abilities is destroying all lands, like Jockalops,
2: but, or Jockalops, did I say that right? No, I think the Jockle Hops. Jockle. I don't know. Whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure the J is... Pr- I don't know. Jeez, it's like... Jockle right. Jock- Hops. Yeah, I think Jockle, it's Jockle, Jockle Hops. Ho- Jockle Hops, Jockle Who Hops. Old card. Who knows?
3: The Dutch, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> destroys <laughs> everything. The yeah. card yeah. that yeah, destroys yeah, yeah. everything. So, like, those are the way it does, but no one likes those cards. So, like, right. Red either has this weird I'm um, either unfun or I'm not good enough effect. Until recently, I think they've recently started making ways yeah. like... uh and Kiki M15 had the a card that's basically Minecraft that Notch created, that's like aggressive mining, where you're stacking lands for card advantage. So like they're adding interesting
2: things to red, but um, it kind of depends on each color. Yeah, you know, this this brings us to something that like my philosophy is to look at things like card advantage, look at what I call categories. So there's like ramp, you know, there's card advantage, there's, or sorry, card draw, Mm -hmm. there's tutors, there's these categories that most decks want. And I sort of look at that like mana curve. So I want a certain percent of my deck to be ramp and I want a certain percentage of it to be card draw. You know, and so this makes it easier when I'm going later to replace cards or I'm trimming the deck down. It's like, well, I have 20 card draw right. cards. Now, if my deck is not built around card draw, if it's trying to do something else, then I don't need, you know, literally 20% of my deck to be card draw. So that tells me, okay, that's an area where I can trim. Or my deck is, you know. 15% ramp and it's not looking to play like huge spells later it's just like I pulled out all my good ramp cards and put them into a pile so that's mm-hmm. an area where I can trim like it makes it a little bit easier for me to find those areas to start trimming down
3: right and, and I guess the one other thing about card advantage specifically in commander is that it's a completely different beast than in other forms of magic because it's so much more about my one card has to compete with three other players at the table, right? Versus in sixty card decks, like divination is theoretically always powerful because, or not always powerful, but relatively more powerful because, I it's always two, a two cards right. and they don't. But in commander, I drew two cards, but then every other player is doing a bunch of stuff on their turn, and I did nothing on my turn. So you have to really kind of think about what you're doing to further your game plan along with gaining this card advantage that you're going for? Or am I drawing so many cards that it's just ridiculous to a level that I'm now just in such a higher advantage with like cards with like Sphinx's, not Sphinx's. Consecrated Sphinx. Consecrated Sphinx, which is a 4-6 that every time another player draws a card, you draw two cards. So like it automatically outdraws every
2: other person playing and draws too many cards. (laughs) Yeah, you always have too many cards when you've got that card in play. But I think the important thing here is just that idea of like keeping your ratios, finding that 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 real sweet spot for your deck. You know, Mm -hmm. like you said, you you played Teague a lot, so you that's what you were saying when you played it a lot is like, oh, if I'm going to take out this, you probably want to replace it with a a sort of similar effect, right? Like if you're going to take out a two drop, you probably want to put something that's around that cost or filling a role, but just doing it better. You know, you you're not going to unless you said, oh, well, my my deck's not drawing enough cards and I always find myself with only a card or two in my hands and I'm top decking. Then, you know, you need to add card draw to that deck, you know, but, oh, I always have seven cards, but I keep dying to board wipes. Okay. Now I need to change my deck maybe take out some of my card draw and put in, you know, things that are, that are sort of covering bases that I don't have covered.
3: And I think that's really the interesting moment in cutting cards is, the moment where it's not such a two-for-one. It's not like, oh, I have this card that ramps me, but this card was just printed. That's better at ramping me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the moment where, oh, I want to add this new effect to my deck. My deck is weak to this ability, and I want to be able to do this thing. But no other card in my deck seems like a easy cut for this situation. Right, right. And especially if you've been testing a deck for a while, you're emotionally attached to every card that's in that 60 63 cards right. that are in there. So yeah. you're like oh, do I want to cut this favorite card or do I want to cut this, this favorite card? This one I card? just
1: bought for this so much, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, you know,
3: this card's not good all the time, but there was that one time where I, like, wrecked everyone because they let me get away with it. And it's just, yeah. like, every card has a story, but you kind of need to make that emotional decision to, like, know it's time to maybe this doesn't belong in the deck. This right. isn't as good as you expected it to be.
1: I think that's also a strength of having s- uh, several commander decks if you have the budget and time yeah, to pick a, a couple. Point. Because, I mean, I, I feel like commander is a format that rewards the timmy within all of us on, on d- many different levels. So you're going to have a deck that is filled with more emotionally, just like you're tied to those cards a little more because you're like, it can get this thing out. I can use my gigantomancer to make all these one, one snakes into seven sevens or whatever, you know, like every deck that you make has the possibility for stuff like that. And it's just up to you to decide whether or not you want your deck to be ultra competitive and like trim down with all the excess fat off of there. Or if you want
2: it to be more of just a fun, group hug, or just fun deck in general? Well, I mean, given, let's just say that you're trying to win a little bit more. You know, I think the reason we have these discussions is to sort of like come up with more optimal ways to do things, you know, Mm -hmm. give people ways to think about things that maybe they're not thinking about. You know, and I think the ratio idea, the mana curve idea, you know, is, is good to keep in mind. Yeah, you can, you know, you can have fun. You can do the 70% thing, Alex, you've talked about before, right. which is this idea of like you build your deck and then you take out 30% of the good stuff and put in 30% more dirly stuff. And, and, you know, it, it's actually can help you win a little bit more in multiplayer because you're not as scary. Right. Mm. Yeah. But, you know, you're still want, trying to win, right? So, yeah. so you know, a way to think about this, you know, sort of the ratio thing, I, I thought of token decks as an example. You know, I, I have a couple token decks. I really like them. And what I found with token decks... Um, you know, through playing them a lot is that, you know, there's, you run into this issue when you're building a token deck. It's like I have token cards and then I have mass pump or anthem effects. Right. So I either play, make a bunch of little dudes, you know, that's one choice of a card. And another card is make all my little dudes huge. Mm -hmm. You know, and what you run into is like, where's the sweet spot? Like, do I want 50 cards that make dudes and only 10 cards that pump them? Or do I want 50 cards that pump them and only 10 things that make dudes? And, you know, After you play for a while, you learn with token decks, you want 50 cards that make tokens and only 10 cards that make them big because you can win with just tokens. You can't win with just pump spells. A
1: token is objectively powerful. A pump spell is only subjectively powerful. Right. Well said. Very well said. Also, one thing I realized is that if you do want to make your dreams come true, so let's say you are a Timmy and your dream is to make 50-50-50s because you want tokens out and then you're going to drop Crater of Behemoth. Right. right, which is a card that gives all your creatures plus X plus X, which is equal to the number of creatures you have on board. Uh, so it's let's say you that's your your single goal with the deck is just to get there. Well, in that case, like you're going to want to cut the cards that inhibit you from getting your Inner Timion, which means you need to make sure that you A, get the tokens out, and B, hit the mana needed to get of Behemoth out preferably earlier rather than later right. Right? i mean that deck to a competitive
3: level would be token generators that token generate on a massive scale right. and then cards that let you cheat and search out crater behemoth from your deck in some consistent manner Yeah,
2: and cheat them out yeah yeah so, that actually that points out why tutors are s- so powerful and right. why like every edh deck needs as many tutors in its color as it can get because it gives you the versatility like now that card in the token Uh, example from before what's a tutor it's not a token maker it's not a pump spell it's both right Mm -hmm.
3: well and and in a format like edh where it's so variance heavy and you know every game can play completely differently the tutors allow you to offer some type of consistency above just having right they fill in a mana curve
2: it's similar to what we were talking about mana curve either earlier which is like you want you can use it on turn two you can also use it on turn 10
3: yeah not to mention like the only consistency in edh is your commander that's how it's built, really. Right, and yeah. tutors allow you to, A, make it a little bit more consistent, but B, also kind of protect your commander. Because because commanders are the only consistency level, a lot of decks are built to have that be their, like the thing they're leaning on. Right. But then that makes it so other decks are built to get rid of the generals in a permanent manner by tucking it or whatever. And tutors allow you to find that general back so you're not left like if my game plan is only to get my general out and play and do something with it, I need a way to get my general back if it goes away forever. Right.
2: Well, speaking of general, the last point I wanted to make in this sort of ratio discussion is like the general will a lot of times determine like another category for you. So, uh, so a, last episode we talked about Rafik and Rafik has uh, a a big exalted theme and so you know that's another thing another category that's going to be um you know only in the Rafik deck or only in decks like Rafik is yeah. like cards that give me exalted and you're going to have to find the sweet spot for how many of those you want in the deck and then you know that gives you you know, you don't want fifty necessarily cards that give you exalted in that deck. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Just as an example, right, right. Um, do you want fifty cards that give you exalted? Definitely in that deck? not. <laughs> I,
3: I think, I think with Rafik, the main thing you want to focus on is more along the lines of, I am attacking with one creature. Yeah. Right. How do I make the fact that I'm attacking with one creature
2: very good?
1: Yeah, and, and it's a combination of exalted, ex- right? And exalted pump equipment, pump, equipment, pump spells. spells. Yeah. So it's a, it's a. Genius. So it's
2: really like the category is really like Voltron-y yes. stuff. Yeah. 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 Right. So that you only want x amount of that stuff and that's mm-hmm. a category for you and you still want a category that says card draw and you still want a category that says right. that says ramp right. you know and and so your 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 general your commander is going to determine you know maybe one or two of those other categories that you know you're going to use to separate yeah. your cards so you can start trimming it down. Right. And, yeah,
1: and not to mention versatility is often one of the most important things in the commander deck because you don't know who you're going to go up against. You don't know what's going to come at you. So if you have multiple ways of addressing your main needs, which is, to say on the Voltron deck, other ways to make sure your commander can, or your just single creature attacking can do that damage, the better time you're going to have in general because it just means that you're able to make what you're trying to do come true more often.
3: Right, and and with versatility, I mean, it also lets this card cutting concept be a little bit easier because if so, for instance, in Teague, which we'll talk about later, I have a card called "You Have My Elder," which is a two-one for three. uh, That when it leaves the battlefield, it lets you search for two basic lands and put them in your hand, and it also when you you can pay two mana to sacrifice it to draw a card. And the reason it's really versatile, and the reason I really like it, is because. If I need a 2-1 creature for you know putting equipment on it or blocking or just being defensive, it's there. Mm-hmm. If I need to mana fix or get lands to get to my bigger spells, I can use it. If I need to just kind of cycle through my deck to get more powerful cards or get a creature right. card in my graveyard, it's there.
2: It's almost like a dual land in a way because when you're divvying up your land and you're looking at how many lands do I have that produce red mana and how many do I have that produce black, well, bad lands... Produces both, and it fits into both categories, so mm-hmm. it actually covers both of those bases. So right, right. So, like, it's we talked about like Rogue's Passage, which is goes in your Voltrani uh, Rafik deck, but it also gives you mana, so it can fill the slot of land in your deck and also cover a slot right. for uh, evasion. Yeah, yeah, for an evasion. Yeah, right. So that's why, I, that's I love why love. those cards are the best cards. Right because yeah and 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 it, that will help you when you're trimming down your deck also because it's like oh well I can replace I can put rogue's passage in I can take it out an unblockable effect and a land and now I can put another card in you know yeah that covers another base that maybe I need to cover right. and, and I still have the same amount of effects my ratio is is what I want it to be yeah. so um one more thing on yeah.
3: the the ratio I get ratio category that we're in hmm. um something about commanders and filling slots on your mana curve specifically is Sometimes your commander actually can give you curve considerations. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, in Geist, who is my favorite deck, who maybe in the future we will get to check out. Um, it's the <laughs> only <laughs> deck I have that is wanted. He's inviting foil. himself back on the podcast. <laughs> nice everybody, I draft. will be back. <laughs> uh,
2: Otherwise, <laughs> there'll be a Masters of Modern podcast about EDH. That
4: doesn't EDH. This is Geist. Uh,
3: so, um, but Geist's intrap. If you guys don't know, uh, the important fact is it's a very aggressive hexproof creature for 3 mana that is a 2/2 that mm-hmm. creates an angel that swings for 4 and does a mm-hmm. lot of damage and but the it important goes away every time it goes away every at the end of turn but the important thing is that it's a hexproof 3 drop for um, hexproof 3 drop creature is my general mm-hmm. so the reason that's important is a it's a very hard to get rid of creature so i can consistently know that on turn 3 and in general i'll have a pretty decently
2: serve the it's safe to cast it. Right. Yeah. It, it's it's a survive. card that is easy
3: to cast. Not even safe to cast it, it's just it will stick around. So right, I, right. I don't it's really need... It's uh, safe.
2: With a lot of, a lot of uh, low casting cost generals, you still don't end up casting them on the turn you could because you're like, yeah. well, if I don't have some way to protect it, I can't
3: put it out yet. Right. The other reason it's important is because he's so consistently going to stay in play, mm-hmm. I don't play a lot of other creatures in the deck. I don't need to. I have my creature right. that I need to strap up giant right. swords to and make consistently more powerful. So it allows me to play spells and artifacts and mana rocks and other things that normally would be put into play for like, I need a creature that's going to attack someone. I don't need that. My You know you have that. that. Yeah, I have that. So that affects your ratio. Right, exactly. So it kind of affects my ratio. It also means that on turn three, I always have something to play. That I'm going to plan turn three. So you don't need as many three drops. So three drops are not nearly as important as two drops and four drops because right. Geist is going to be the card that's coming down. Really in turn good three.
2: stuff. Really good stuff. That's really interesting.
1: So always, yeah, evaluate your commander against what your deck specifically needs. And if your deck starts to have stuff that starts to go contrary to what your commander is, or essentially just is either proving the point too much. You know, sort of like having fifty exalted cards in a Rafik deck when there would be better slots for other things. That's, I'd say, the best first point to starting off on when you're looking through your deck and you figure out what to take out.
2: I really like that idea, though, of the the curve consideration being affected by the card you know will basically always be available to. Right. So it's like not like a normal deck where I need. You know, if you're building a, a standard deck. Uh, and you want it to be pretty aggressive, you might want 12 two-drops. Because right. why do you put 12 two-drops in? It's not because you want to draw 12. It's because you want to make sure that you have one on right. turn two. You want to
3: always yeah. consistently play yeah. something on turn two. Because if you're not, then your opponent will be aggressively doing it and will kill you because you will not have enough spells to
2: play. Exactly. But in, in Commander, you know you're going to have your Commander. So that slot, you don't need a lot of redundancy. Right, right. Because you know you're, you're going to have... always
3: have a two-drop, so... and you know even a 2 drop and a 4 drop and a 6 drop because the if it dies I know I have the distance right. and playability mm-hmm. there. So it's important to be able to know that this is what I have available to me. So mm-hmm. it's not as important
2: that I fill my slot out on the 2 drop. That's drops again, uh, right? that's a really good that's a really good point. I really like that. So I guess now that we know like ratios are important and we want to pay attention to the ratio of card draw and card ramp and whatever mechanic we're going after and all this stuff, you know, how do we go about determining what those ratios should be? Math math, <laughs>
1: math it's actually it's very simple if you think about it 99 cards 35 to 37 of those are going to be lands you're drawing seven in your opening hand and one on your first turn very basic math as to where to start it's just like when do i need these cards what's the chance of me drawing them
3: Yeah, in, in magic in general you want to aim for a 40 percent land 60 percent um not land mm-hmm. gas spells mm-hmm. um that
2: can be affected by what kind of ramp you've got
3: and right, how much right. that, that ramp compl- costs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, is, that is a loose. I mean, f- like, for instance, in draft, normally you want 2317, but if your deck is hyper aggressive and low costed, you can go s- cut that 16 down so that you're more consistently playing creatures. Right. Or if you're all big spells and card draw, you can play one more land because you know you can draw into gas and it's more advan- important that you draw into, ca- you know, be able to play your spells because right. if you can't, yeah. then you're not going to be able to beat your opponent. Um, in. EDH, something always taken into consideration, and it, it I often actually count Soul Ring, which we've talked about, should be in every deck as a single land is too. as a land yeah. because it
2: should literally be in every EDH deck, right? Yeah. And it's, and like it's comes in every, in every like yeah. commander deck, yeah, right, right. right. Yeah. And they've made it so
3: prolific that in all the commander preconstructed decks, yeah. that it's not hard to get your hands mm-hmm. on. But it's still not like. Still five for how much they've reprinted it, it's still expensive because every commander player needs it. But yeah, it's a
1: val- it still has tons of value regardless. And it's yet. possibly the best card ever printed. <laughs> I would be careful though. Like soaring is I, th- I think one of the few cards that you can substitute straight up for a land. Yes. Um, I think yeah, a lot yeah. of people get, uh, especially newer players, get sort of over hyped, you know, and think like, okay, I've got these three rocks that counts for two lands, and and you start start cutting out lands because they want to put in a sweet card instead because of them. It's like you right. know this is an awesome three drop. I don't need that extra land. Like, when am I going to see it or whatever? And it's like, you need to make sure that you don't do that right? because your consistency will be hurt. And that's the last thing you want to do is not be able to play your spells.
2: It's really important. It's, it's a really good point. A lot of new players like like to skimp on the lands because it's not an exciting part of the game. Like when you're oh, yeah. building your deck, mm-hmm. like what do you want? You want spells. That's what you're excited to play. You're not yeah. excited to put a land down and tap it. But at the same time, I think the more experience you get, the more lands you want to put in your deck. Right. Like right, right. In, in yeah. general, like you're just like, I just want to be able to play my stuff because I've built my deck in a way that my stuff works together. So it, the most important thing is just actually being able to, to cast it.
3: Right. And that's why I love lands that do stuff. Right. Lands yeah. that do anything other than tap for mana are like my favorite. But mm-hmm. lands that do stuff is just so sweet. Every, like and historically, lands, Herbore, incredibly and Popul- powerful right. in, yeah. in magic knows, for, yeah. for that reason. I mean, to be totally honest, the artifact lands, lands that arguably do nothing but be an artifact or banned in standard. Yeah, they're (laughs) awesome. right? And
1: I'd say almost all of the lands, I mean, if you look at most modern and standard decks, they all have, I mean, I'd say a lot of the most competitive decks have a land in there that is a huge part of their win condition.
2: I mean, Mutal Vault's been... Mutal Vault, Celestial Colonnade.
1: Mutal Vault
3: heavily warped standard around itself.
2: So some questions I like to ask to help me sort of start to determine what ratios, um, you know, I want in my deck. One is like, what is my deck ultimately trying to do? You know, so we're going to talk about Teague later. Um, he's kind of trying to stop everybody else from doing what they yeah, want to lock do. Lock down the game plan. Locked yeah. yeah. Um, Rafik is trying to attack with one big threat. Mm-hmm. Um, Marchesa, we have talked about in the past, she's trying to reoccur um, all your other creatures constantly. You know, hell of Us trying to get off a big spell. Hell of Us trying to get off a big <laughs> spell. Hell, you know, you should be able, al- I think you should be able to, it's like the logline of a movie, you should be able to sum it up in one sentence what your deck's trying to do. Yeah. Um, you know, in most cases. And so that will help you determine your ratio. Because that category, like Hell of a Jaleva, for those that didn't listen to the episode, <laughs> Jaleva wants to cast big instants and sorceries. So big instance and sorceries is a big category in that deck, and Mm ratio-wise, I want it to be a large percentage of my deck because if I'm trying to do that, and only 10% of my deck is that, then it's not going to work. Right. And the
3: thing you have to take in consideration there is with a deck like that where it's so specifically minded and I need big spells, those big spells are going to cut into other categories you normally have. So you're not going to have as many card draw engine maybe, or you're not going to have as many like, Ramp spells. Ramp spells. Or your card draws are are placed by deck fixing. Right. So the deck is much more based on having this huge game A plan, which makes it a little bit easier and a little bit harder. Because you Hmm. you can't do your normal, I'm going to throw these cards that I know are good in these colors and I know to play them, and then I'm going to have some cool extra game plan fun. What you're really doing is I'm going to cast these spells with Helva. How do I make that happen
4: right
2: and not every commander deck works that way i mean some do and and i think there's varying degrees there's some decks that are barely based on their commander or their commander only lets them play certain colors so they can do something totally not related to the commander right you know but most decks are still trying to do something specific and it's up to you to determine how big of a game plan that is if it's if it's hell of a If it's Jaleva, I still have have problems just saying Haleva without explaining myself. I think Haleva might be the new If it's Haleva, no, then it doesn't work. It's got to be Haleva. It's got to be Haleva, yeah. Haleva has a hell of a big plan. Yeah. So you have to go all in on that plan. Otherwise, you can't halfway do that plan. Yeah. Right? Right. But there are other generals where you can just sort of like have, you can sort of partway do that plan, and you can also just have a lot of good stuff. You know, we talked about Animar a a little while ago. You can't do that. You need a lot of creatures in Animar. Right. You know, that's just the way you have to build the deck. You can't put a bunch of instants and sorceries there. Otherwise, you're not triggering Animar, and you're not doing the thing that the deck's, you know, that the general lets you do. do. The the other
3: thing with Animar is it's so important to have a good curve in Animar. Right. Because you want to be able to just start going off on the turn you play him so that you can just start casting giant artifact creatures for free. Right. And when you start, if you don't take that into consideration, you're just going to be like, okay, Animar, turn four, well, I only have six drops in my hand that are supposed to be cheaper, but I don't have small creatures to Yeah, to exactly. Make it and so later. I can't do
2: anything, so right. I can't make them cheaper, right, so I'm just yeah. going <laughs> to play them on turn six, so why am I playing Animar? Right. Yeah. Which is
1: another one of the points of what uh, what Josh had in how you determine correct ratios, which is how am I losing and why am I losing? Like, when I lose, what happens? In Animar, for instance, I only have six drops in my hand. It's like, well, maybe you should... Without your cards, and this is actually effective, I think, in any deck to, to see what you need to cut. Lay out your cards by their converted mana cost. See where they right. lie. Like, in, in a normal draft deck of 40 cards, that curve is going to be a lot lower. You're going to want to have a lot of 2 want, and 3 want, drops. Yeah, this you want the you hump in th- 2 and 3. Yeah, and yeah in EDH, and I'd five. say 4 it's and 5 or 5. 4 or five. and 5, yeah. Five, five, and 5 is the hump,
2: right? Yeah. yeah maybe four? 4.
3: You can do 3 to 5.
2: Yeah, depending on depending how on general general you don't general generally want to not do anything by the time five rolls around, I guess. <laughs> right. yeah, exactly. So generally you want to have played spells starting at least on turn three. Right. The,
3: yeah. What I've noticed with EDH, though, is so like with draft or with standard or modern, the there is a hump.
2: Mm-hmm. Well,
3: while in EDH, I've noticed there is no hump It is much more of a you want to evenly have consistent cards to be played on every turn all the way up. Right, um, it's
1: okay yeah. to stack your deck with more expensive cards if you know that you'll be able to play them on, on time. Right, like you can have
3: s- as many six drops as you have two drops. Right, um, and that's fine. Which you can't do that in construct like regular construct. Right, but well, fine you because you don't it can- want to have all six drops and no two drops right having an even level is really smart in edh which allows your deck to play cards consistently but because you have so much more time you can fumble a little bit more easily Mm -hmm. you're not as like i only want to draw one six drop all game it's if i draw three of them then i'll just stumble and pretend oh i'm mana screwed no one attacked me oh wait Right. this Hot Wave for stupid mounts. Now I have all of the permanents. Well, it's interesting
1: <laughs> because 6-drop is almost too much in a lot of constructed formats, which is really funny I, to think about because I'm so used to playing such bigger cards in Commander that like when I look at a card, I'm like, oh, this is great. And then I hear a discussion about it, and it's like, oh, yeah, we would never play that in Standard. It's never going to see modern constructed play, and you're like, oh, 6-drop right.
3: creatures only became playable in Standard when the Titans came out three years ago. Before that, playing a 6-drop creature in a not control shell was unheard of right
2: and even still it's still pretty rare right right yeah, yeah. yeah. you need, cow- need cards it's just a level. symptom of 40 life and the multiplayer aspect right. so mm-hmm. you're not going to get attacked legitimately you know sometimes till late in the game because of the multiplayer aspect yeah. and you start with 40 life so even if you are the clock on you is twice as long as it would normally be so you know it just allows you to sort of weather the storm a lot better than you could in Constructed. So, you know, Mana Curve is not the only way that you're going to lose games, though. You're going to lose games to all kinds of things, and that's going to help inform, you know, what maybe you need to take out of your deck and what you right. need to put in. You might be losing to, I don't know, Board Wraths. Right. You know, you got a creature-based deck, like Animar, and you're losing to Board Wraths, you know, and and every time somebody plays Wrath of God, you can't win that game. Well, that right. that's a time to go. You look at your deck, and you say, okay, what cards... Help protect me from board wipes. And, and why are they, they counterspell? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, but if somebody's playing Supreme Verdict, you can't even counterspell it. Yeah. So you start having to get a little bit. You know, you played Soul of New phyrexia which makes all your stuff indestructible. Right. Or you right. play the, uh, the OG Ra- Avison you know, who makes all your stuff indestructible. Or you play Cauldron of Souls, that makes all your stuff have all your guys have persist. Like you just, and then you you go in and you're and you're replacing and you're trimming. Sorry, you're cutting things from your deck. So that your deck is protected against the thing that's beating it. Well,
3: there's there's many ways to kind of protect yourself from board wipes, including creatures that, when they die, good things happen to you. Creatures that are indestructible, creatures right. you know, creatures that the more creatures in people's graveyards do stronger. I mean, it depends on what your game plan is. Um, something like Animar is really weak to those kind of effects, mm-hmm. and so stuff like El creatures have persist is really strong, or just counter spells is kind of what you have to kind of do with them because eventually. You know, after turn five, if you're doing Animar correctly, you shouldn't be, you know, your creature should be free. So right. you have right. all of the mana to start holding up mana. To be That's like, why yeah. counterspells are
2: so good, too, because they're not just an answer to boardwives. They're an right. answer to anything. Right. Anything that could be Yeah, And they're also creature
3: counterspells. There's yeah. uh the new card from Constance of Kira that lets you morph, and yep. you can counter by flipping yep. it over. Yeah, and there's like Willbender, and there's also Mystic Snake. Mystic Snake, Snake Draining Well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So them. these are cards that in Animar are great because Mist, uh, Draining Wolf becomes a two-drop, basically comes counter spell that gives you giant creatures for free. Yeah, right. exactly. So mana drain, but without the mana, I don't know. So I think the, <laughs> the
2: point here, though, is like, yeah, maybe board wipes is killing you. Maybe you know, graveyard recursion is 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 killing you. Like that's yeah. we've talked about. in meta discussion is like you know, taking a look at your play group and what they're playing and right. what you're losing to. But a lot of times, your own deck is why you're losing. Right. You know, and that's the part where you really need to pay attention because you know that's where your ratios are maybe a little bit off
3: all these guys who are playing all these mana rocks that I don't own and all these artifacts are too good. What do I do? Well, maybe you should put Shatterstorm in your deck or another destroy all Mm artifacts. spell. right. That's when you start considering my deck is weak to this thing. Now I need to cut a card. Or a card that is good against these things that I'm consistently right. losing to. And
1: I think that's where the parody thing comes into, is because if you're in a losing state, you're going to want a card like Shatterstorm to get rid of the Brocks that are that are doing what your deck can't do, like ramp to that certain level. So that right. you need to. It's more important to instead of win more with, which I think is another reason that we keep cards and we're emotionally attached to them, is because. But that one time I played this, I won so hard that everyone's never going to forget it. <laughs> right. It's like, but you're not going to want
2: that card in a losing situation when it does you no good. So right. it's like
1: you have to really keep that in mind too when you're cutting
2: yeah so that's another category is a win condition you know how does my deck win and some it's built into you know the commander or or the the main mechanic you're doing but some it's not some you know and and it's some it's like oh i can do all this stuff with my commander that basically locks everybody down but i need something that actually wins the game for me so that's another thing you got to determine with your ratios um Okay, so let's say I've gone through this process. I've built my deck. I've tuned it a little. You know, I have my ratios, and now what? Normally,
3: I would say at that point, you have three cards that you just can't decide which one to get yeah, rid right. of. right, yeah. You're just <laughs> yeah. right at that edge. Like, oh, do I cut this cool one or this cool one? And it's there's actually a term that writers use, uh, and oh. we brought it up in top to anybody, but it's called kill your darlings. <laughs> oh, right, right, yeah. <laughs> is, you know, in those situations, for me, the thing I most often cut is like, okay, I have three cards I need to decide behind. Between and I'm like really close. The one I love the most is the one I normally will be the first one I chop off because it's
2: probably the weakest,
3: right? Because it's like, well, I'm attached to it, so that means it's getting bonus points that it doesn't deserve. Because I personally like it, oh, that's really good
2: advice, actually. So I'm just like, ah, that one's probably the weakest if it's tied, but I love it, right? That means it's actually behind, but I'm giving it you're giving it that extra extra bonus. Yeah, Yeah. the
3: the other one hanging chads. The only other like cute way of like, or like a trick maybe in this situation is flip a coin. Yeah. And you don't actually flip the coin to... You see to, which one you're rooting for. Right, right. You flip the coin. You don't care what it actually lands on. It's when your heart decides in the flip card... While which the one, coin's in the air, yeah.
2: you you search your heart, and it's like, which one am I hoping wins? Right. right, And exactly. then I take that one. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
1: Yeah. And then I'd say play test. You know, yeah, bring that's it the in, last bring one. Bring it into a, a situation, and then start drawing until you hit those cards that may be the troublesome ones, and just see how they do.
3: Also, and if you have close enough friends, you can be like, hey, guys... I'm trying this new card out, just this really quick game. We don't have to play a huge EDH game. Right. I just want to start within my hand and see how powerful or terrible it is. Do you mind if we play this way? And a lot of times your friends will be like, yeah, but, you know, you got to give me something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: what kind of friends you got? Jeez, that's... Obvious, not dude, you guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'd be excited. <laughs> I would say that. I'd through. be like, sure, what the heck? Right, oh, right. Geez, I hope all of you out there have better friends than that. Yeah, sorry Kessler. I'm. I, I <laughs> I'm Jimmy's like you got to give me something. <laughs> you got to give me something now. You're on this
3: podcast. You owe us something. <laughs> I'm friends with Jimmy, Craig, and Joe. That's my problem. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs>
2: All right. So the last thing I wanted to talk about was just focus. Yes. You know, this is something that I see a lot, especially in like sort of newer players, which is like deck building. It's about making choices and committing to them. It's about tuning. Like I said earlier about the log line of your deck, the one thing that it's trying to do, it's about sort of going for that. You know, in general, this isn't always true, but 90% of the time it's true. If your deck is trying to do like four things, it's not going to do any of them very good. Yeah. And so it's a, just a lot better most of the time to just try really try and do the one thing that you're trying to do. Yeah. And then there's this thing that I like to do in any sort of creative enterprise like this, which is like when I'm tuning it. Is like drastically change it. So like instead of incrementally changing, like let's say I play my deck um, and it doesn't do that good, I don't like to like just change four cards in that instance. I like to change like twenty cards, and then I can sort of find that middle point. So right. I go from the right to the left, and then I can find the middle. It's a lot faster than sort of slowly stepping from right to left one step at a time. It. it I think that's also something
3: that you can kind of get a feel for the more you play mm-hmm. because. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, this is quoting from like designers from Wizards. They recommend not doing that in many instances when they're designing cards. Mm-hmm. When you do giant, drastic changes, it makes it so you can't really find what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. If you like, if I take 15 cards out and I'm now playing a different deck and it now is doing well, well, which one of those 15 cards was a problem? Was it all 15 cards? Was it four 15 of those 15
2: cards? You don't really know. One of the things we talked about Marchessa in our very first episode, and we and and we talked through that deck and we built that deck, and it's okay. It's not great, you know. I after playing a couple times I was like screw that and I just totally changed the deck just to try it right, right just to see if this is better and I put in you know all all threaten effects yeah you just take modular out or you cut Yeah that just in? totally yeah. Sac, I put sack outlets and threaten effects basically and you know I kept card draw and ramp and, and, and those other things and you know I tried that just it's so drastically different mm-hmm. I could just immediately tell right. like yeah. You know, between those two choices that I had when I, when we first sat down to make the deck, you know, I could immediately tell which one felt better. Which direction feels better. Yeah, with this yeah exactly. Commander. And I guess that's what I mean, is like, you know, if I had just sort of, eh, dirtled around with wait, wait, if you're trying something
3: and it doesn't work, especially if it's a linear strategy, yeah. then try something else. There's right. no
2: reason to keep
3: just forcing into a thing that just doesn't make sense, or at least the cards that exist right now don't really make it work right yeah. now.
1: And in your case, it was like... I, I like that, too, because it, that is the essence of focus. And I think... Uh, the guys on LR talk about a lot, which is disciplined play and disciplined cuts where you need to like look at yourself and be like, hey, look, if this isn't working and you're just emotionally attached to it or you wanted to do it because it was a cool, fun effect, like modular in, mm-hmm. in Marchesa, it's like then taking out that section of it to put in something that's potentially better, that's when you can like get rid of a bunch of cards all at once. And it's not going to be a huge cut out of your pocket too because I don't think any of those cards are super valuable or whatever. But they're it's an easy way to say, like, okay, this entire segment of this deck this sort of like when the log line of Marchesa was I'm going to put out these creatures and these type of creatures when you can just get rid of a part of that sentence and replace it with something better then that's an efficient way to essentially
2: relook at what you're trying to do. Right, but this is even a bigger change. I mean, you know, and, and I like what you're saying, but uh, just to go back to that specific example, like, you know, this changes the entire deck because all of a sudden right. it's all it's all sorceries and instants, right? I want Quicken in there because I want to play my Threaten like a Ray of Command. I also want Ray of Command in there. And I also want things like Archaeomancer and Mnemonic Wall to get back the stuff. Mm-hmm. And if I can reoccur them, and it's like it creates this whole spiral effect that changes the entire deck, right. you know, and then so you do that, and you play that a couple times, and you know immediately I'm like, yeah, this feels a lot better. Yeah, and that's when, uh, go- throwing it back to what we were talking about, the log line,
1: or sort of what is the one-sentence summary of your deck and its goals, that's where it can really be helpful. Because if you're examining your deck and you need to just essentially rewrite that sentence like you did with Marchesa, then you know, if you feel the need to and you're, you're not having fun or it's just not working the way you want to, I mean, there's no harm in at least trying it out. And you know, if, obviously if you don't want to purchase all the cards, you can go on tapped out and make the deck and draw a sample hands out. And draw, you know. Yeah, proxy too. Proxy I mean, right? yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. I, I think we've probably all proxy yeah. at a certain point. But at know. the end of the day, you need to
1: make sure that your cuts are based on what your deck is focusing on, and figuring out what the correct ratios are. And the, the the nice thing and the hard thing about commander is there's no one set answer for anything. And really, I think the best way to just test anything out is just to play test it, which is something that I'm sure you have done a lot with with Gaddick Teague. Yes, I mean I built Gaddick Teague. Bum bum bum
2: Segway Segway
1: We're all riding our segways now and podcasting <laughs> at
2: the same time. Okay, so back to Gaddick Teague. <laughs> it's a Segway back. <laughs> uh, so our commander spotlight. We've talked about him a little bit. Is Gaddick Teague? You want to read him, Alex? Uh, yeah. Since he is your commander.
3: Gaddick Teague is cost one green and one white. Uh, it is a two-two legendary creature. Kithkin advisor uh, is from Laura block. And he has two abilities. He has non-creature spells with converted mana cost four or greater cannot be played. And non-creature spells with X in their mana cost cannot be played. Wow.
2: Yes. Yes. So So we said it was going
3: to be a mean deck. Yeah. It's mean in an interesting way. I always feel like it's being nice because it's making sure that people aren't playing mean things. It's mean but like genesis wave but apparently people take it as a you aren't letting me play my it's spells. Mean. Yeah. People which, take it very personally. Yeah, they're very mad at me, <laughs> which
2: understandably I mean, so. Yeah, Teague is one of those cards and and the cards that fall under this category are always considered mean, which is they change the basic rule of the rules of the game, right? Right. So I, I built my deck and you guys built your deck under the basic rules of Magic, but Alex's deck changes The basic rules, so my deck and Jimmy's deck now doesn't work. Don't work, and and in Commander specifically,
3: this is the specific way people build their decks. Most people are playing giant spells, Planeswalkers, boardwalks. The reason we play this this
2: format in a lot of ways is like there's all these cool, big, high casting cost stuff that you could never play in the other formats. But in EDH, there it's not that just that I'm allowed to, but they're actually effective. Right.
3: And, and I have a small soft spot for T because T was actually my first competitive EDH deck uh-huh. where like, I was really taking next mm-hmm. level. And it came about because I was playing in an environment where there was only board wipes, only land dis- like It was mostly actually land destruction effects. I had friends who were just like every spell they played was land destruction or like, you know, apoc- not apocalypse.
1: Jocko apocalypse,
3: Jocko apocalypse, Jocko apocalypse, uh, Armageddon, like these cards that would just destroy my lands. Armageddon, and like, Meh. And so I was like, I'm gonna play Galactica. I'm just gonna make him super strong. Uh, the original time, I, the original deck was a very Voltron heavy, and that it has greatly changed since then to much more of a prison style deck. That kind of made it so that no one can do anything, right? Except for yourself when you decide to correct. Right, I get to do all of the things.
4: Well, this
2: yeah, <laughs> these types of effects are always super powerful. You know, changing the basic rules of the game and, and your deck is built for it and nobody else is. It's always really powerful. Mm-hmm. It's, um, yeah, Gaddock is known as one of those hate bear decks. I, what hate <laughs> bears are, are basically two-two creatures or around two-twos. They can be two-ones. Yeah. Right. They can yeah, be, yeah. yeah, and that do stuff that hates on specific specific strategies. They're normally...
3: They're the safety valves that Wizard prints to stop other people from doing dangerous things.
2: So they make spells cost more. They make your graveyard synergy not work. They make you not be able to draw cards. They do all kinds of, like, crap. We're going to talk about specific things, but that's what Hate Bear is.
3: Right, most of them say... This thing that people normally can do cannot happen. Right. Yeah. Fate um, spinner,
2: I
1: think is that classic blue one that we talked about at, on the NMR episode where we're just like you have to skip a phase, do it. Sorry.
3: Right, right, right. And I would argue that face Fate Spinner. Spate ugh, fate Spate fin- Finner. Spate Finner is <laughs> not, a <card. laughs> not a card. Not a card, not a no card. No. Fate I w- spinner. I think you would win that argument. Yeah. It's not a bear either. I only win arguments.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: um You would argue that Fate Spinner as well. It's not
2: it, technically a, a, hate a hate bear, bear. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think
3: I think it's more of a weird effect because it's not stopping right. someone you get people get to choose it, it's more just a kind of like a cool controlly dirtly card and I mean that with all of the love of dirtles dirtle is, uh, is dirtle- is dirtle- wonderful, yeah right I, don't know um, if it's I think I hate hate cards are generally more specifically stopping people from doing specific things it's a little bit more specific or broad things that one's like weirdly random and up to the decision of the person who's playing
2: at the time so we're going to talk about some specific hate bears but you know really quickly i think it's pretty obvious when you look at this card like this deck wants to play no spells that are more than three mana cost besides creatures right
3: right uh in the deck there is a total of one card that cannot be cast with tigas in play so everything else can be cast with
2: T's in place. Yes, because that's your advantage. Right, right. I just changed the rules of the game, but that doesn't actually affect my deck at all. Right, I so I've it, been playing by these. But new rules. even if it only affects twenty percent of your deck, that's a pretty big advantage. Yeah, and
3: most decks, EDH decks, is going to affect a lot more than. No, oh, that. yeah, that's 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 every hand. You only it's basically every player discards down to three cards. Right. So like, and normally those are the lands. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, it's interesting, and they've slowly added a couple new cards recently that change this specific effect, but Teague. That three drop is a very important level because a Wrath of 90, God is four. 90, 99% of all board wipes are four of them, especially the ones played in modern. Because technically, black and red have some three drop ones, but no one plays them because they're not destroy all creatures. They're give minus two, minus two to all creatures. Right. So Teague himself dodges almost all ways that normally players kill creatures. Right. Because, like, a cardinal rule of commander and multiplayer play in general is that you shouldn't be playing Doomblades. You should be playing Damnations. Right. You should be playing cards that kill all creatures, not one creature, because one for one is so rarely going to be that strong. Right. And there are a few that are exceptions, like everyone in white normally plays Path Exile and Swords right, here of Blasher, we go. But those cards, and, and Te- we'll get to how to fight those cards with Teague, but those are you know two cards in a person's deck, and they're not always going to draw them, right? Um, and you're not always going to be playing and you have white mages. to them, right? So. Yeah, exactly.
1: um, okay. So yeah, go ahead. Let's talk about some of the hate bears. Yeah, let's do it. Um, first up is a card called Thalia, Garden of Threben. Uh It's a legendary creature for one and a white uh, first strike, but the more important part: non-creature spells cost one more to cast. So that's sort of the definition of what the hate bear is, right there, right? Right. So. It
3: this is Thalia is actually probably one of the weaker hate bears in Teague in general because right. she's already kind of doing Teague is already doing what's important about her is two things one, it makes it so those the spells they do get to be able to cast are harder to cast, and two, if Teague goes away, which there are it's going to happen, what every opponent it, wants to happen, right? There, she can maybe do a little bit
2: of a like Stop gap.
3: Teague mimicry while right. Teague comes back in play. Um,
2: uh, now, we should say rules-wise, she doesn't up the cost of the spell. So no. she yeah, so they, she doesn't make it so that a, yeah, so so a three-casting cost can't be
3: cast. Right, because right, of right, right. So she, like, does it not, just costs she doesn't combo Teague in a crazy way yeah, that makes all
2: yeah.
4: three
3: drops also not be able
4: to be Yeah, cast. I just right. want to make sure we're clear about that. She's one of those important
1: cards that lets your deck function without the commander and still gets the job done, essentially, when your commander's not around, which is, as we've mentioned many times on the show, is a very important part to a lot.
2: So I've got another one here, uh, another hate bear. It's Leonin Arbiter. It's a one in a white for a 2-2 cat cleric. It says, players can't search libraries. Any player may pay two colorless for that player to ignore this effect until end of turn. So
3: as we talked about earlier, tutoring is very strong in yep. yeah. You it Most players lean on it to make their decks consistent. Most players will be using that effect to find w- there may be one or two answers that might be able to get rid of Gaddock Teague. And so, Lean Arbiter and cards that have a similar effect, because I'm also playing Ava Sensor, which yeah. does a very you similar can thing. The top four cards. Yeah, top yeah. four cards. That's the hate bird I was mentioning before. <laughs> um, make it so that it m- becomes much more difficult for my opponents to find the answers they need to kill Teague. Right. And right. protecting Teague is numero uno, game plan number one, because as soon as he dies, especially if you get to the later game, your opponents have now had time to draw... Cards play land, so right. the biggest spell they've drawn, they will cast immediately. So the some of the crazier like situations, floodgates it, have right, opened. Well, it's, it's a lot exactly. of times too,
2: they might just infinite combo off right then because right, they've right. been exactly. sitting there
3: waiting and just holding their best stuff. It's one of the reasons I still like him, even though he's kind of a very sh- strong and unfair way general. Right. Is that when he dies, crazy game states happen mm-hmm. because it's the floodgates have been opened. These players will cast Genesis waves for a ton, infinite combo, or like all go at each other, right and Sometimes that's enough for you to just be ignored. Because it's like, oh, we got rid of that one thing we got to worry about. Now let's go kill each other because right, now right. we have all our Because you cool were never spells. an imminent
1: threat. You just were seeing it as, as this weird stopgap that made everyone enjoy their game mm-hmm. a little less. Right. People's <laughs> plan
3: wasn't necessarily to kill you. It was to kill Teague. So right. I, I don't... And one of the ways to kill Teague is to kill me. And that is something we'll, we'll address. But the fact that once Teague is gone... Then they start to. They don't want feel as to. threatened by you. They don't anywhere, feel threatened. Right? Like, oh, he's not doing anything. He has a bunch of tutus that do nothing. But that guy just counted, casted crazy spells. I'm gonna now use all these counter spells that I couldn't cast because they cost more than four mana to stop him from what he's going to be doing, right, and, right. and go at each other. So um, let's talk about
1: how you protect Mister Teague.
3: So the, you know, there's there's a, f- a bunch of ways. Some of those are the ones people know about. Like Mother of Runes is really strong, and Gadig Teague. Uh, um, lightning greaves is very strong things to make him so he's untargetable uh, some of the funds we're going to talk about uh, one of them is dauntless escort uh, dauntless escort is a 3-3 for three he uh, he's gold so he's green and white um, and you can sacrifice him to give all creatures you control indestructible until the end of the turn uh, the reason he is very powerful in teague and one of the reasons i like him is there are a few board wipes that can stop you uh, Toxic deluge. Toxic deluge. Right. Uh, there's a few artifact ones that come that are three mana, and then you can tap them for five mana mm-hmm. to do
2: all the da- to destroy all creatures. Right, because the artifact itself only costs three. Right, exactly. And it doesn't matter how much the effect costs. Right, T doesn't stop that. Right.
3: So, Dauntless Escort protects teague but it also lets you kind of protect your whole team just in case the worst case scenario happens and someone gets one of those like three ever printed in the history of magic destroy all creature spells and toxic deluge technically is not one of them because it's it's, totally new right right and it's and you have to pay x
1: mana to do minus x to all things and so it's slightly different
3: Mm. um you would pay x life x life yeah, yeah
1: yeah um well, that, that card's great, too, just because it does the job of, like, Soul of New Phyrexia. Um Not as... You can't do it twice, obviously, or... or it protects all your guys, too. It protects all your guys, yeah. And and for a three-mana cost creature, like, it, it does fit very well in the deck.
3: Right, and worst-case scenario, if they get rid of Tig, he's also still there. Like, yeah. sometimes I'll let Tig die, because I'm like, well, the worst thing they're going to do is wipe the board right now, and... I'm going to be great after that. But that other guy who has been casting giant creature spells that Mono green player because his deck is also like right. Animar. Teague and Animar at the same time, Animar goes nuts because its biggest weakness is no longer available to the yeah. rest of the players. Yeah. Right. Um, and I'll get to how to handle well, that. Well,
2: and also Teague only costs two. So sometimes you, if they're going to do that and it's going to help you and you're just like, well, no, he's just going to cost four. Right. right. Yeah, so, exactly. Big deal. Yeah. Right, yeah. right.
3: Um, the next card, and this actually is somewhat relevant to what we were just talking about, um, to protect Teague and also to be very political with Teague is High Market. Um, High Market is a land, and we are talking about lands that do stuff, so those are great. It, uh, it taps for any mani- or one colorless anytime you want, like a regular colorless land, but it can also tap to sacrifice a creature and gain a life for free. Uh, the reason this is important is because it's twofold. The most common targeted removal spell in EDH are tuck effects. Right. So effects that put your general inside of your deck. Um, Chaos Warp, Hinder... Um, condemn condemn it's in the deck yeah. so I should know that but <laughs> <laughs> we've talked about we've talked about right, right, right. right nausea right, right. because so they're great against they're... almost every commander right because yeah. like they're one of the few ways you actually can kill commanders in a format where it's very hard to do so yeah. right um, it's a more permanent
1: death by throwing them in the deck than back into the command zone. right
3: exactly so high market lets me protect teague from those effects because the nice right. thing the, one of the things that protects teague more than anything else is that he costs two mana yeah so worst case scenario if he dies I am at least for the first few times going to very easily cast him again. Right. Um, And High Market lets me do it so in a way that like dangerous effects that I don't want to happen to Teague. So that, or like there's cards that um, Ixel, Ixador, Ixeldor. Exile? No, no, no. (laughs) I was like, it can't be that. It's (laughs) not a real... He would know that word. Exile instead of exile? I think it's Ixodor. I might be getting this wrong. All you people on the internet will yell at me for not knowing what it is. But basically, he... No, they'll yell at us. Yeah, comment furiously. He turns every creature face down. Oh, like, he morphs them. He morphs uh, them, so they lose all abilities that no longer exist, and existing. then they're just kind of stuck in play, and you don't know what to do with them without attacking. And right, and you can't get rid of them. You either. can't get rid of them. So high market fights against that. There are a bunch of random things that like high market is kind of really good against.
2: Yeah, I, th- I thought it was really interesting that you listed it under protection, and it's great actually. Yeah, right. Because yeah. there's just any of those, or if they're going to do, you know. Anything weird that you don't see coming, you're just like, whatever, I'm just gonna put him in, back in the command zone. Right, exactly. Yeah. So,
3: it, it high market kind of gives you versatility there. It also is life gain, and, <laughs> which is nice. And the one that one life, that is one li- take you real eventually, far. eventually, like if you're tokening out, it, like that like you one know. life a turn can add up if you're teeking everyone
2: and no oh, right. one does anything for 10 turns. For other stuff, yeah. right, right. I, I like what you said too about being political too. So, Resident, I hadn't yeah. thought of that, but yeah, that's like, okay, I'll turn him off for a turn for right. you and you let you do something. You know, there's an interesting card you've got listed here. Oh, there's one card I wanted to talk about really quick. It's uh, Yavimaya Hollow. I don't think we've talked about this on the show, but okay. it's, it's it's important in a lot of decks, so right. I, it's a good time to talk about it. It's just uh, another land that does stuff. right? You know, all of our favorite. Um, so you can tap it for a colorless, or you can tap a green and tap Yavimaya Hollow and regenerate target creature. So it's just... Another way to protect a creature, but it doubles right. as a land. So instead of just drawing a spell that let you regenerate your guy, you can tap it for colorless when you're not doing that. Right.
3: I, I, I would argue that in green, especially, it is one of the best lands yeah. to, at protecting things.
2: There's very few commander decks that wouldn't be improved by just replacing right. one of your lands with that,
3: like the, one the of your biggest, forests. Or the biggest cost is if you're very color intensive mm-hmm. and you don't have a lot of colors. Thing which Teague has some problems with. I would say my biggest. Complain about the deck that I have built is that I have maybe a little too many colorless lands, <laughs> um, and that their ability to produce actual really because usually be in stronger. two colored decks you don't have that problem right. But you have to think on turn two. You wanna I want to play play be playing Gaddock yeah. Teague and Gaddock Teague is two colored mana yeah, every so single time. So you need there, a green and a white in your opening hand. Now, mind you, turn two Teague isn't as important as you would. Maybe think because no one's going to be playing three drop four. They can drop still spells. play their three
2: drop stuff. So it's actually you just want to play them before turn somebody's turn right, four. Right. So and, it and might be your if, turn three if you didn't go first. Exactly. Yeah.
3: Uh, and, and, and worst case scenario, if it's their turn, if they get a, t- a four cost spell, the four cost spells aren't really the ones that you're super worried about. Mm-hmm. It's the five, six, seven game winning right. spells that are so common in
2: Commander that you really need to like. So even if you get it on four, you're probably still good. Right. Exactly. exactly. So we see how the deck works, which is basically like which is basically like gun everything up like slow the game down you know for everybody make it hard for them to cast all of their spells you know so the next question is like how do you win?
3: Okay so there there are two strategies I've seen most common in TIG um, and the one that I ended up actually choosing to be the strongest way of playing it is tokens uh, or like right. a token similar strategy I'm already over committing with all these hate bears to the board with all of these small creatures that kind of need to get bigger um, and on top of that it's a kind of deck style I don't normally get to play because I am so wary of board wipes and all these things. And it's like, well, this is the one deck that the board doesn't get wiped. I might as well get to play with some tokens. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, cards like Gavity Township.
1: Gavity Township. It's a land, uh tap tab once your mana pool. It's a it's a multi purpose land. And for two colorless, a green and a white, tap put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control. A pretty great land.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's he's played right. in modern now, right? Oh, it's it's a modern staple. Uh, yeah.
1: It, uh, so because you're doing tokens, it reminded me of this card specifically called Wrist the Redeemed, um, which is, it's only costs one mana, either green or a white. It's a 1-1 one, one elf warrior, and it's, uh, for two and a green or a white, you can tap and put a 1-1 one, one green and white elf warrior creature token into play, but more importantly, uh, for four and then two green or two white, you can tap it, and for each creature token you control, you can put a token into play that's a copy of
2: that creature, so you can essentially just... Double, 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 double. Right, 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 me I mean, once you on start more. doubling, then it gets nuts. It's just getting to the point where you're doubling that right. that right. sort of is would, tough.
3: There's an argument made that the uh, Return the Ravnica Guildmage mage is very, very similar to Reese the Redeemed. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah. Uh, is it the V2 Ghazi guild mage? Yes. So it's uh, four, a green and a white. You don't have to tap her, but you put a 3-3 three, three green centaur creature token onto the battlefield. And then for two, a green and white, you can populate, which means you can put a copy of any token you've got onto the battlefield so you pay six the first time and then after that you pay four just to keep right, making right, them, right. right yeah and and the real reason
3: i don't play recently redeemed is because he is so much more about a dedicated token strategy right because he's so much about committing your mana to doubling the tokens you have where teague is not
1: that deck it just mm-hmm. has token producing cards to go wide because right, it can Right. Um, so this is a great example of focus then. You know, it's just someone might think like, oh, I want tokens. Riss is great. He's in the colors. He's cheap. I can play him with Teague and I can activate his abilities because they're not, you know, they're not non-creature spells or whatever. So I can make this deck work like that. But it kind of draws attention away from the more important parts of the deck and requires a strategy that's more all in than what you're doing.
3: Right. Teague allows a little bit more of a what is like good stuff kind mm-hmm. of format building where, you know, because you are you have this weird deck construction Effect that makes it so there are spells you shouldn't be playing, but mm-hmm. beyond that, you just want to play the really good stuff that goes into that situation. Right? Because he's kind of good by himself. Well, Reese the Redeemed is needs a world to exist around him to make him as powerful as he possibly can be. Uh, Teague and him don't get along. I mean, I would actually play get a Teague more in Reese because Interesting. Teague will help you protect your Reese the Redeemed game plan. Versus the opposite, because one can coexist in a deck doing whatever it wants, while the other one needs to be in an environment that makes it as strong that as possible. As built around him, right? And Although that's
2: he of, would stop a lot of the stuff that you want to do, like your yeah, other token generators. Depends what, your, I mean, you, yeah, you you can't play doubling season, right, you can't play right. parallel lives, you can't play.
1: Well, Teague in that case is just like a good two mana. Play this card after you've created a solid. Yeah, board. it's like mm-hmm. a right.
2: okay. I put in hundred tokens into play, and I play Teague. Right. Go. Well, I mean, yeah, you can yeah. you can.
4: I, I, I'm it's not a, saying it's not right, right. useful,
3: I'm just saying it's... When you're playing these kind of effects, it's like board wipes, to be right. totally honest. Teague is kind of like a board wipe where you know, it is a equal effect. And I'm doing bunny ears for the people that can't see it. Quotes. The quotation mark yeah, the bunny, quotation ears, mark not, bunny not ears, not the... <laughs> right, right, not the making fun of a person bunny ears. Uh, where, yes, it's not equal to everyone, bump. but I control when it's going to happen. Right. I get to say when Teague happens. Right. So I play... I can play my big spells, and as soon as I'm like, "Well, I'm ready to protect all my tokens," then you play Teague. It's gotcha.
2: a, it's a, yeah, it's a. I'm on top of the hill. I want to stay on top of the hill. Right. Boom. Yeah. Uh, and if I'm not that, on top of the hill, I just don't play.
3: That's him. that's in a Reese redeem deck. Yeah. in a Gaddock Teed deck situation, the token plan is more that because of what the deck's already trying to do, you want things that kind of make a bunch of small creatures on the board strong. And there are good token producing cards that kind of go with the plan in a way that's
2: versatile and allows it to mm-hmm. attack from different angles. What I also like what you said about it's just sort of good stuff because once you have the shell, the prison shell, the right. hate bear shell, you're like shutting down everything as long as you can sort of play anything that's sort of big and good, you know, right, right, right. That, that, that's a creature at least, you know, that gets around Teague's um, text and, you know, you can play, like, Elishnorn, or, you know, is she Which in there? I don't plays, know. Yeah. 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 yeah, because, like, and normally Elishnorn's awesome, don't get me wrong, yeah, uh, you know, know, but you can play anything like that as, like, your finisher, because right. you're like, hey, I just put the stop sign on everybody else, mm-hmm. and so right. anything I've got that can go is fine. Well, Elishnor, so Elishnorn, people play, like, people choose big, powerful spells to play in their decks,
3: right. and Elishnorn is normally one of the ch- decks, you know, the choices decks pick, but with Teague... They don't get to play their big fun spells, and right. you still get to play yours because you've picked cards like Elish Norn.
2: Let's read Elish Norn.
3: Uh, so, Elish Norn is a 4 7, uh, four seven that uh, gives all opposing creatures minus 2, minus 2, and all of the creatures you control plus 2, plus 2. She's a four, 4 7, raider. 4 seven. She's I never also, even
1: thought about that. Seven four seven. Oh, yeah. She's also vigilant. Oh, she's vigilant. Okay. That's like attacks that not key Just, not just to <laughs> add, Yeah, just to add a little Insult more Insult to injury on.
2: because yeah. they were like, they looked at that card and they're like, Hmm, not very powerful. What if it had vigilance? <laughs> <laughs> those come from. Normally,
3: effects like that normally come from the fact that it's a cycle, and so they want to give every single one. Yeah, they they want to. Right. So, they like, to right. so, like, on Either Elishnorn, it's not relevant, but on the green Praetor, having or trample inclex. is really important because yeah. the, the point is that he's a big trampling guy. So, you want each of them to have, like, one of those little trinket effects. Sure,
2: like, sure. Just defend uh, the designers, man. Yeah. I was just Here's the thing You're You're never never Elishnorn Kessler. did not need vigilance. <laughs> and you are never I, attacking yeah. with Elishnorn. Yeah, anyway. I win that argument. Thank you. Because you never want that card, too. All right, so let's talk about some. Cards you may not think of uh for the deck. So um I see you've got one listed here. You want to read it? Yeah, so one of them is uh,
3: Admonition Angel. What Admonition Angel does is she is a six-drop angel um for a six-six flying, but she has the ability of landfall, which is whenever a land comes into play, mm-hmm. she removes target creature from the game. Uh so it's every single land is an O-ring. When you play a land. When, when you play, play a land, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And but the problem is that when she leaves play, all those creatures come back. Right. So normally in Commander, she doesn't do very much because the They just kill her. They just kill her. Because right. there's a thousand ways to kill her and she's the big target. But because Teague is protecting all of your creatures and your entire game plan is to protect creatures, because even the fact that yes, you're trying to protect Teague with mother runes, she can tap to protect abnition Angel if she Just needs Just as to, well, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. They have a bunch of cards that are protecting you your can, creatures. You can have a Hollow as... and Regenerator. Right, exactly. Yeah, they you still can, work for both. Right, yeah. there. You have a bunch of cards that are already protecting your creatures. Mm-hmm. So it allows you to play this card that is normally weak in Commander. But, but if it didn't have that one specific negative effect, mm-hmm. it would be one of
2: the most powerful cards. Because the fact that every single land you play is a path to exile yeah. is crazy powerful. Um, but the fact that they come back from exile, if she dies, is the downside. But what Ke- Teague does is cover her downside. Right. What what,
3: yeah. what Teague the deck itself, what how it's built to protect Teague, and Teague himself do together is protect her to make her just like an undefeatable win condition.
1: Now that's great because that's that screams synergy in a deck that I'm assuming is hard to make cuts in because in this case it's like all right, well, well one I want to protect Teague, but at the same time I'm building in protection for other important creatures. So, that means you can start looking at cards that have obvious downsides and potentially get like sort of negating or nullifying their, that downside. And Admonition Angel is a really good example of that. Right.
2: You know, another th- cool thing I think, you know, you mentioned Thalia earlier and how she can sort of do like a weak Teague impression. So, right. let's say you've got Thalia in your hand and you play her out, but you've got Teague out. So, you don't need them both. You can play the Admonition Angel and you can actually exile your own Thalia so that when they do board wipe, you get Thalia back. And right. you've got your right, backup right. Teague like, oh, nice. ready yeah, to go. And so that. now you can, yeah, and you can actually sort of save some of your creatures. Like, let's say you're way ahead on board, you can start right. exiling a couple of your own guys so that inevitably, if somebody, the only way you're going to lose is a board wipe. And so you're like, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to still get four of my creatures back in play when that does happen. Right. So, I mean, like, theoretically, if you're playing
3: with fetch lands, which yep. you, this deck, you, you can. And, and, and pretty
2: soon we're all going to be playing with them. Right. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Woo. Next um, guns and if you're playing with that you can at instant speed say like they wipe the board you can instant speed remove teague yeah put it under admonition angel the board goes away and teague comes back yep so like there are cool cute little things you can do with the landfall ability that an admonition angel in general that are really fun yeah um another card that and this is the one card that you cannot cast with teague that we mentioned earlier um is green sun zenith
2: and yeah that is i was when i saw that on the list i was like is that there, it says right on his card that you can't cast spells that have X in the casting cost. So, yeah, I'm really interested to hear like the reasoning here. Go ahead. So, this is the card I most often get like weird looks about in the deck,
3: and every single time I've ever had it, it's been one of the more strong cards I could have been playing. And mm-hmm. there's a few reasons for this. Um, one because if I have a turn one, I always use it to ramp. For those who do not know, Green Sun Zenith is a sorcery, it's one green and X. You can search your deck for any creature, green creature that is. Has it for a man cost under X and put it into play. Um, X or less. And then you shuffle it back into your library. Mm-hmm. Um, the nice thing, one of the cute things you can do with it is there's a, there are zero-cost green creatures that are that can, that can taps for mana that's a land called Dryad Arbor. Dryad Arbor. Mm-hmm. And so, if I have it in my opening hand where the game plan is normally to cast Teague as soon as possible, I'll normally use it as a ramp spell turn one just because to get, get it on yeah, my hand, I'm not going to cast it for a while. Yep, you you get, reason, get two lands out on the first turn. The reason it's important is if it's in my hand and I'm not casting it, it means Teague's in play and my game plan is going great. So, right. it's okay that this one card in my hand, while four cards in all my opponent's hands aren't doing anything right but if, it's your savior if teague gets mm-hmm. tucked. right so it's 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 kind of what high market does a little bit and in the sense that if teague goes away then i get this extremely powerful card that can also save teague in situations where he gets tucked into my deck
2: mm-hmm. um So you're not ever unhappy to have it. Because if he's in play, you're in good shape. And if he's not in play, well, you need to go get him.
3: Right, exactly. So he's kind of this, it's a a weird safety valve and another thing that kind of lets me consistently make sure I have Teague available. And because it gets shuffled back in the deck, it's never not an existing card. Right. Uh, Like there are other cards that let you tutor, but more often than not, they, you know, you want to tutor as soon as you can. Yeah. So like if I have Teague and I have a tutor, I'm just going to immediately tutor for a creature. Green Sun Zenith kind of forces me to play a pattern that lets me, in the long run, make sure I always have Teague available.
2: Gotcha. Um, Yeah, very interesting. The reasoning is great, it's just like, it's not what is, well, if it's under the category, not what you would think of. I thought of a card that is not what you would think of. It's uh, Luminarch Ascension. It's an enchantment, it costs one and a white, so you can play it if Teague's out. It says, at the beginning of each opponent's end step, if you didn't lose life this turn, you may put a quest counter on Luminarch Ascension. And then for one and a white, you can put a 4-4 four, four white angel creature token with flying onto the battlefield. Activate this ability only if Luminarch Ascension has four or more quest counters on it. Right. The reason I like this is because the deck is built to slow the game down. Right. People the, aren't be able out. to play their spells. So I'm, you... I'm assuming like a lot of the time when Teague's out and your game plan's working, just not a lot's happening. People are draw going a lot or just playing small stuff because they can't play all their big stuff. hmm So then you're much more likely to get the counters you need on this thing and just start pumping out. Right. And it's an extremely powerful card. The biggest worry I have with it,
3: and it's the worry I have with Teague itself, it's actually like... Well, that was my other point, is that
2: they already are going to hate on you because you have Teague. Right. So so it's... Yeah, the reason... that The knock against this card in a lot of decks is like, well, every time I play it, people try and kill me. right? But, right. but Gaddick Teague is my general. Right. They're already trying to kill me. Right. So, it, it, so in it's one sense, Windmore, it, it's, it's kill me more. It, it's <laughs> sort of like They can't. They're already trying to it's kill making... me, so I might as well play a really powerful card that that's the downside.
3: Right. And, and part of what the issue becomes is that Teague is all about managing your opponent's mental state into uh-huh. thinking not kill the person with Teague, but just kill Teague. <laughs> and all Luminarch Ascension does is make that battle just a little bit harder because it's like, oh no, I just like... A the get rid of Teague, I need to kill him. The easiest way right now for me to get rid of it is just to get rid of him. And B that like I have to kill him because Luminarch Ascension says if I don't attack him every turn, he's going to win in mm-hmm. four turns or less. <laughs> so it's it's a great card. And and if you're already playing a game plan that's mitigating what your opponents are doing to the point where you don't have to worry about that lightning rod effect, then go for it. And it's like anytime you can get
2: away with playing Luminarch Ascension. It's a good idea. Yeah, I just think <laughs> very it, strong. I just feel like in this deck, the downside is mitigated because Teague is the type of general right. that like people are already drawing. Smart the hand. people are going after you. You can politic all you want, but they they know like he turns half their deck off. Right, right, right. So it so doesn't you matter as well. Just go all deep in. And, yeah, and you might before. as well. Yeah. yeah,
3: that's completely valid.
1: I know that Teague is. I, I look through the deck list and I've I realized that okay, board wipes are bad if they can get them off. Tuck spells are bad if they can get them off. But I've noticed actually you've got a lot of cards that are sort of offense on defense. Essentially, cards like like Nova Blast Worm and stuff. So how what what cards in here specifically go against the cards that are trying to take out your board or take out other people, They like sort of take out your key components?
2: So that leads us right into the discussion about cards that seem good but really aren't. Right. Because I noticed you don't have any equipment in there, so I'm assuming you think that equipment's not that great. I was originally playing with equipment, and that was like the original way I built the deck was to make it very
3: voltron And the thing I found was that you're already making, Tika's already this threat that people want to deal with, and by strapping all of these things to it, they it's it's once again probably kind of my problem with Luminarch Ascension is that you're drawing so much attention to yourself already by playing him that so much of the deck needs to be mitigating what they're doing and not trying to be offensive, um, on the offensive. Mm-hmm. So like what the sword plan really does is say I play say if I play Teague turn two and then I play sort of Light and Shadow turn three. Everyone looks at me as like not only are you stopping me from doing things, you're about to, you're about to start just decimating people. Right. So we need to destroy you. Now but we're then, all definitely teaming up right, to kill you. Right, exactly. And that's kind of why I moved away from the Voltron just having Teague be this like stopgate that lets mm-hmm. me play all these spells to a much more hate bear controly kind of situation. Because Teague is going to draw so much hate, I need a way to stop people from attacking me. And the sword aggressive Voltroni decks are so much about attacking people and being the aggressor. And Teague does help to a certain extent, but the problem with Teague, and the problem you'll always find with Teague, is that when you're playing with multiplayer, every single player is now focused on you. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. what you need to do is mitigate their focus on you by either making it so they can't attack you, they can't play their spells, they can't do anything to harm you, the spells that they still can play, not necessarily become an aggressor, because maybe you'll kill one person, maybe I killed Josh, but Jimmy just had all of the time I spent equipping Teague and going after Josh to draw into the cards that let him try and defeat me.
2: Okay, so we've talked about what the deck's trying to do, you know, how it's going to work, how it's going to win, you know, what disrupts the deck. What like when people play it are you just like, "Ah, oh, crap." Like we've talked about board wipes quite a bit, board wipes that cost 3 or less. Uh, we've talked about tuck and how you deal with that. What what other things, you know, combat the deck? Uh, creature strategies.
3: We've mentioned it before, but one of the biggest problems the deck ran into and kind of what it ends up causing to happen is your deck is so mitigated on stopping people from playing spells that the decks that don't have any spells on them just can go wild. Animar. The reason board wipes are good in, in EDH is because they stop people that are just going to be playing like the mono green ramp decks, they're just playing giant creatures. Mm-hmm. And when they're left to go off without any worry, like I don't have to hold my protecting in. I'm them because you're protecting them, too. them also, yeah, exactly. they start going crazy. Like the Animar deck before we were mentioning, you know, that deck biggest weakness and its biggest stopgate from probably being too powerful is the fact that board wipes exist. And if I'm on the battlefield, that guy's like, thanks, buddy. I'm going to go off and win. And you're not like no one's gonna be able to stop. So you because creature you're based
2: strategies him. are very are strong, yeah. Very, very strong. strong against it. I would think like targeted removal is probably you know there's right. not a ton of it you mentioned, but people play Path to Exile, swords. You see the odd right. like mortify right. or you know, that kind of stuff. Um I mean, th- there especially are... instant speed, because you've got to cast him and then protect him somehow. Right, 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 You know, and if you want to cast him on two or three, you know, they could just Doomblade. And and that's kind of why
3: the deck is so focused on protecting Teague in as many ways as possible, mm-hmm. because from the beginning of the game, when everyone flips their commander over and sees it, before mulliganing happens...
1: Yeah, you every- get metated. People have already been...
3: People already know, yeah. I need to save my Path of the Exiles and my target of removal for yeah. one creature, and that creature is Gabbok Teague. Those can Be a definite problem because that's people start planning to have them, so mm. it's all about mitigating how to defend yourself against right. those, gotcha. and
1: that's half protecting your creature through cards and half through politicking, right? Like, exactly. I can do this with Teague for you if you'd like, or which,
3: which is like. why I like High Market so much. High Market, which we kind of talked about, yeah, but one I of the really things like High Market that. does to protect Teague is the By ability to him. say. <laughs>
4: I can I'll get kill rid of it guy. when
3: you need me to. Yeah. At the worst case situations, let them live for now.
2: Yeah. yeah. That's actually, you know, I like how you process the game on that level uh, at all times also. You know, we think that's just as important as the cards. And, and and I think people don't think about that enough, is having a few cards in their deck that allow them to politic. Right. You know, that, that's a good way to take a general that's really scary, and normally people would just 100% gun for you, and make them mm-hmm. only 80% gun right. for you. You know, that's... It's a big difference and that that mindset is
3: legitimately the biggest barrier from competitive players yeah. to playing commander or multiplayer games i so many of my friends who are modern players or standard players or drafters that don't like modern or don't like commander it's because they don't like the fact that they don't have a control or the ways the tools no, they, they, know they do to they just don't, right, right. They, the don't the tool, they, they don't know how get, yeah the yeah. tools that they have that they normally have to play magic don't normally focus on mitigating people's emotions, right? Beyond yeah. just the cards,
2: it's manipulation of uh, your opponent's emotions, right. uh, Except for on a super basic level, right? Don't yeah. exist in one on one, exactly. Yeah,
3: and so you know, it, it's much more maybe about intimidation versus like you know, that, like that's
2: the one like I'd the say, like that, fear, like right. getting somebody to fear you. That is the only form of right. Or tilting them. There are many ways yeah. that
3: like there is emotions. in Magic. That's what mm. I'm saying. I'm yeah. saying one on one. Yeah, but that like. There are multiple players that you have to worry about at all times. And sometimes, even if you play every spell correctly, you'll still lose because other people will just team up or whatever bad things happen. Like to you, we, right?
2: it's like my one of my favorite sayings. It's not what you're trying to. It's not what you're doing. It's how you're doing exactly. It. and yeah.
3: and they yeah. just don't know that they need to change their strategy and use the newer tools that are available to them to, to still play correctly. right. It's right. that what they consider playing correctly, is no longer correct.
1: Right. Right. Because in the one v one situation, you don't need to worry if your opponent is going to attack you. They're going to do their best to win the game as well.
3: Right. And there's not there's not as much of the board stalls. There's not people not doing anything, waiting yeah. for something to happen and hoping no one attacks them. There's there's all these little small things that you just need to remember to focus on, and it's just something that a normal one v one player doesn't focus on. Right. Um and yeah. high market cards like high market cards like um you have a Maya Hollow. Yeah, but my No, no, no. Car, high market cards like oh, uh, right, right, right. Sorry. Car, high market cards like False Prophet, these cards that kind of and False Prophet is a card that when it leaves the battlefield, it's a creature. When it leaves the battlefield, it destroys all permanence. Removes all permanents? Exiles. Exiles all permanence. Um these are cards that kind of mitigate people's emotions. They either not want to attack you, not want to cause right. bad things to happen.
1: Um, you can punish them in ways and you can also reward them by essentially essentially you're putting because you're so controlling in two colors, by the way, that aren't control, which is, I think, hilarious about TV, right that you have the ability to use your own control to just simply further control
3: well, and, and all of the control is in play. Right. So everyone sees what's going on. It's not like a blue player where they have to be worried about what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And in most case scenarios, that blue player has a small advantage because the mystery of the unknown can sometimes be surprising. Right. But the difference is that because everything I have on the table is, I'm dealing honestly with people in a way to manipulate them.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, we talked about this in our politics episode. That's, the t- that's two of the strategies. One right. is like, you know, bluffing. Like right. You don't know what I got in my hand. I can just be like, you don't want to do that and just hold up a card right. that you can't see. It's, and then, like yeah. A, an but an the other way is to like pro- actually show strength. Yeah. So right. there's projecting strength and there's showing strength. Right. And, and, and this is showing strength and it's saying like, hey, look at what I've got on the table. You might not want to. And it's all, it's all, sh- it's like strength that you can see, but it's like,
3: not currently going on. Right. So, stuff right. like false it profit ha- where. this doesn't
2: have to happen. Right.
3: You know, yeah. I have this. I have it right now. I'm not going to use it. But if you come at me in any way, I'm going to sacrifice false profit with high market and everyone, right. all your stuff goes yeah. away. So, right. just it's, don't focus on So, you
1: might as well kill that other guy. Right. It's like having Nevermore's discount, which is a card that everyone has access to. It's like once you're able to untap with it, then you, it becomes your biggest. It's the button. Button. Right. right. Button. No like, one atta-
3: no attacks you on because the like, as soon as I attack you, you're just going to wipe the board. So, yeah. I might as well attack other people.
2: Okay, so we see that people are gonna they're gonna fight your deck by doing board wipes, you know, low casting cost board wipes, tucking Gaddock, uh, using one eight seven creatures, or just big creatures, or just creature based strategies in general. You know, they're gonna do some targeted removal, maybe. So, you know, that's all the ways that they're gonna try and counter your deck. What are you know your counters to their counters?
3: So we've discussed some of them. Uh, we discussed how to protect against targeted removal. We discussed mm-hmm. ways to deal with you know people hating on you specifically, just like every way they can come at you, they will. Mm-hmm. So the 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 big thing I noticed, and and this is what happened when I first built the deck, and this is kind of coming from that tuning and cutting process we talked about before, is I built this Voltron-style deck that was being aggressive and drawing all this head and not being controly, and all I ended up doing was letting these big creature decks win because mm-hmm. I would stop mm-hmm. the people, the control players, from doing anything, letting these giant creature decks just roll through because nothing's gonna stop them. Mm-hmm. And so the thing I decided was, okay, or the thing I realized is that I need to have board wipes. So it's really important to have
2: creatures right. that can wipe the board. Because, yes. And there are a few that are printed well, examples. How do you counter creature strategies? You board play wipes. board wipes, but right, your right. deck doesn't allow board wipes. So your answer was put in creature board right. wipes, board which wipes. most people don't play. So now you're the only person with board wipes in the game. It's brilliant. Like right. when I saw the list, I was like, holy crap, that is yeah, really and I smart. I play yeah. like
3: six of them. And the yeah. reason you play so many is like they're important. It's the same reason in normal decks you play a bunch of board wipes. Yeah. These function as a button of do not mess with me or I will wipe the board and you can see I can do that, but they're also there to stop people like Animar going off. Right. Where, like, right. There are strategies in EDH where it's all about playing as many creatures as possible and Galacty doesn't stop them. And most of the hapers have trouble stopping them to a certain extent. And you don't want them to go off because the point of magic is to win. <laughs> so you need answers to the situations. Right. So stuff like False Prophet, stuff like Nova Blast Worm, these are cards that destroy all creatures in ways that you can cast. Mm-hmm. And, it, becomes, mm-hmm. and it, it was exceptionally important. So I moved much more into a controly green-white, weird hate bears deck instead of the aggressive aggro deck that Galactique was originally built to be.
2: Right. The great thing, though, about creature-based board wipes are they're creatures. So yeah. if you don't need them as a board wipe, you can use them to attack and hit people in the face. Like right. Nova Blast Worms, great. Like he's a seven seven. As soon not? as he taps though, he blows everything uh, up. It says all other creatures.
3: Right. He gets to attack. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Right, right. Yeah. But you'd still destroy
1: your
2: board. But yeah, yeah. 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 yeah I'm just well, saying the like, interesting
1: about them is that it's also like because they're creature based effects, they're hard to counter.
2: Yeah. I mean if you've got you My Hollow right? out, you can still attack with right. them and save Teague, and exactly. then you just keep going and it's like hey I have a seven seven you guys got nothing. Right. You know, that's that's you know a good thing like, they still work as win conditions, too. Well, not all of them. Some of them. Mm-hmm. But
3: well, the, yeah, it, it ends up that most of the the board wipe on creatures are big creatures. Because mm-hmm. they
2: don't want you to play them on turn three. Right, yeah, exactly. Or for it's only like, three mana, yeah.
3: Because wizards, they're very powerful effects, right. and they have to be costed correctly. And normally when they're expensive especially in the colors of white and green, Wizards wants them to be big because, oh, if you're going to play 7 mana, it's not just for the board wipe, it's for the 4-5 Flying Angel right. or the 7-7 seven, seven Super Worm. Like, these are cards that are really cool, so they're big. And that's just how kind of Wizards creates cards and costs them to make them exciting. But it also is convenient because I get these wind conditions attached to board wipes that... Yeah, exactly. Help. They
2: were really smart. I didn't see those in a lot of lists when I was looking online, so that's something that uh, I, th- I thought was really good. Another thing I noticed is... Um, you and this makes total sense is you have a lot of creatures that they have Either recurrence the oh yeah or you want them to die or you don't care oh, if they right, die right right uh, yeah like worm coil it's, yeah a lot of the especially cards a have... six six that turns into two three threes if it dies yeah right and, right and has case death, case touch that, and death touch and lifelink touch and lifelink creates
3: two tokens so it has value uh and i mentioned earlier you have a my elder mm-hmm. where these are cards that when they die there's an effect that's given to me and it basically mitigates the fact that people are going to try wiping the board any way they possibly can, Mm -hmm. even though they can't do TIG, but once they kill TIG, they're going to. So it's kind of to stop people from doing, stop encouraging people from doing so, or Mm -hmm. make it so that my, because I'm putting everything on the board and because I'm committing so hard to that strategy, I need to mitigate the weaknesses to that effect, which is I have a bunch of creatures in play. I need to make sure I don't, if the worst case scenario happens, I'm not just stuck in the mud and screwed. because Right. I if they toxic to lose, it. you right. don't just lose. Right. I you have, I have a life and a death touch that's going to protect me from things. Yeah. You I, have some I, stuff. Yeah. yeah. I got to draw a couple cards or yeah, or all creatures are destroyed. because of <laughs> false
2: prophet. Okay. So we've gone through the deck. Do you want to give us like a quick walkthrough of how you, how it plays? Like, how does it usually play out?
3: So early turns is all about getting Tegan to play and protecting him. Um, there this is a good stuff deck so when you go through the deck list online you can see that there are cards that are just naturally good um that aren't necessarily part of the plan and if i have them i'll play them if it's early and aggressive and it works but mm-hmm. really it's about getting something like mother of runes uh lightning greaves or uh safi's eric's daughter which can sack to protect teague Just any gun kind that of protect or then. curve teague into dauntless escort all these cards that kind of protect it so that i can get teague out and stop my opponents um Once that happens, it's all about getting as many of the hate bears into play. Once that happens, it becomes much more about mitigating it, making sure that the fact that Teague is out and the fact that now every single person on the table is here to kill me or is now motivated to stop me doesn't stop me. (laughs) Right, doesn't matter. They can't. So like playing prison cards, playing cards that make it so it costs money to attack or cost mana to attack me. You Car- charge money? Yeah, I try, yeah, six dollars. <laughs> There's a toll that would it's be a toll road card right there. <laughs> it's unglued, but you know, I just kinda go with it. Right. Um, that know, was sarcasm for the sarcastic thing. Right. Playing cards that discourage attacking me, as we've talked about, you know, kind of going with all the cards we've talked about in the game plan. And then then it becomes the time to start becoming an aggressor. Once people become locked out or start, you know, Mm -hmm. stop being able to do the things and make it so the game doesn't last forever, start killing them with tokens, swing with these big creatures that I'm now being able to play, swing with people like Elish Norn where it's just like giant creatures that... Stop them from doing anything, and are giant cre- and let all my right. creatures to be much bigger.
1: Which is actually Elish is kind of a board wipe built into a creature as well. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I yeah, play Elishnorn
3: sure. more for the board wipe effect than yeah. the pump effect, though the pump effect is nice because I already said that I'm already doing a small token strategy, mm-hmm. which is convenient with Elshorn.
1: So it's lock down the board, play good stuff, win. Yes, yeah. sounds pretty good. You're essentially going in constructing. Sounds mean. Sounds mean. The, I like it. Yeah, yep. you're constructing the biggest, baddest dam you can make. And then when it's time, you open your own floodgates and destroy everyone else. Right or I'm, yeah,
3: I'm I'm the only stream let through. I'm the Colorado River making the Grand
1: Canyon. <laughs> you made it all the way. I mean through. The, the thing but I like about this impaired, that's the a,
2: thing I like about this deck is actually. you sit down and you turn off half at least of everybody's deck. Right. right. I mean you just literally say oh half your cards aren't going to work. I don't
3: like to play it all the time because oh, yeah. people get mad at you eventually. Yeah. So if you build a T deck, make sure to have other decks to play. Or your friends will stop liking you. <laughs> yeah. uh, for instance, I actually, don't think either of you have ever seen me play Teague. I haven't played I kind against of took the Teague. Took this out of the right,
1: yeah. the left side of it nowhere. It will happen, and we'll hopefully we'll we will know what to
3: do. I'm gonna have to day.
2: pull out my Joyra deck, and we'll see. Yeah,
3: I
1: can get around it with
2: Joyra, right?
3: No, why not? Because the suspe- you still cast a spell that costs twelve mana. That's a, not a creed.
4: Oh wow. Yeah. Wow. Play
3: Joyra, please.
1: I'm gonna play <laughs> Animar and then just build in tons of. Counter spells.
3: Okay. How yeah. many counter spells do you know that are under four mana? Crap. <laughs> 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 this is the problem. So yeah. it's what you really, really should do is really play... Really you want to play as Rune or, uh, yeah. or like, Animar or... Or um, Chesa? No? Rafik. Rafiq. Yeah, Rafiq. Rafiq.
1: yeah, Or play Rafik, where like... yeah. Except all your sweet enchantments aren't going to make it on the battlefield.
3: Yeah. Yes and no. I mean, you're still swinging with a... Eight eight general damage and any sword you attach to him. There are other. There are many things in Rafik decks that cost cheaper that pump for a lot.
1: Yeah, it's true. So lots of unblockable effects. Right, and
3: and I think you guys mentioned that you want to play with some exalted in Rafik. So the exalted itself is going to make it better. So those kind of effects make it very strong. Right. Yeah. Big attacky creature decks are good against Teague because then they kill Teague and then everyone else can play their spells. Yay. Yay.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely tough. You've built this deck and it's, it's it's you know, talking about cutting cards and tying it into the main topic. It's got a lot of aspects to it where it says, like, you've taken the cream of the crop, you found the one the cards that have the most value that give you the best possible result when you play them and the ones that, that can work in so many different situations that, that Teague is just... he's. He's a very locked down deck that has a very all around, just like strong shield around him.
3: Right, exactly.
1: Shields that attack, shields that protect, shields that sack. Like all of these different things do what you want to do.
2: These have always been my favorite kind of decks. I don't play them in EDH because people get mad, but yeah, prison decks in general. Like, you know, I used to run like an old stasis deck that. You know, right, and, got and, like an instill energy out on a Bridge of paradise and just like, right. you know, sorry, nobody gets any turns. You know, Winter Orb was one of my favorite cards. Oh, Ankh of nice. Mishra, just stuff <laughs> that just says, like, hey, the normal rules of the game, don't forget worry, them, yeah. throw them out the window. I just like, love
1: this. It's a control deck in red and white. Like, uh, you don't green. really. Gr- sorry, green and white. Jimmy the Red came out there. I wanted it to be red. <laughs> it will never be. A there are red, deck white red. control
2: decks. That happens. Don't yeah, worry no about it. Yeah,
3: you just. <laughs> lots of board wipes. Ah, I see. All of the board wipes.
2: Okay, so. Kessler, where can we find you on the worldwide interwebs?
3: Okay, so there are a few cool places to find me. Uh, First is on Twitter. I am at Kess Wiley, K-E-S-S-W-Y-L-I-E. You can also find us at the sister podcast to the Command Cast called The Masters of Modern, which is second episode should be coming out any day now. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And... I'm also, you know, the creator of Talk Decking. So we're on WebisodesNetwork.com and YouTube. It's a web series about Magic: The Gathering, all the thing that you guys love. The best
2: web series it's about like, Magic:
3: The Gathering. It's like the best. <laughs> it is.
2: It's awesome. You guys
1: got to check it out. And, of course, if you guys ever want to check us out, all our information is always stated at the end of the podcast, which is nice. But, yeah, please uh, let us know what you guys thought about Teague. Let us know if you guys agree or disagree with anything, or if you actually have any notes about cutting cards, too. We'd love to just hear any kind of input you guys have, because uh, we love hearing it just tweeted at us at CommandCast, and we'll Always have a reply waiting for you.
2: Yeah, we also like to um, encourage you uh, in the comments section, if you have any other philosophies you use for cutting or trimming your deck, we'd love to hear it. It'll be helpful to people who find this podcast later, and they, they can just look down, and they can hear yeah. all kinds of different viewpoints. Yeah, so, we
1: definitely uh, didn't cover everything. It's a very broad and big topic, so... All I right.
3: challenge you to make a better deck for Gatic Teague than me. Ooh. Oh, the, gauntlet
1: gauntlet yeah. <laughs> the gauntlet has and been thrown. The gauntlet has been thrown. And knowing you, Alex, you will look at every single one of the decks that gets submitted. <laughs> oh, yeah. Please send them to will... me. I want to look at them. Yeah. Comments. Steal all comments, the good people, ideas. Comments, people, exactly. comments. <laughs> he will be
2: trolling them for, for the next week or so, I'm yeah. sure. All right, Alex, thanks for coming on. We really yeah, appreciate it. Is.
1: Yeah, next time we'll talk about maybe another one of your decks. Who knows? Who knows? But Geist thank you for Saint coming. Guys of St. Draft. Yeah, well, we'll guys of St. Drafting. Uh-huh. Let's all go draft. I don't know. Okay. Dumb <laughs> dumb joke. Midnight. It's tired. We're all late. It's
2: Wait. So... No. It's late. We're all tired. It's tired. We're all late. <laughs> We're all late. <laughs> and on that note, word. Peace out. See you next week. Thank you for
4: your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to Command at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at J.F. Wong and at Josh Lee Quai. See you later, Alligator.
2: Greetings, humans. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find